Alright, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, this is the official two-year anniversary celebration of the Bizzlecast podcast. It's been an amazing two years, and I am absolutely thrilled to have two of my closest buddies in the world on Adam Smiley Pozwalski, who you guys know from previous interviews, and for the first time, Mr. Andreas Sergio Mendez Pinate. Andreas! Hello, Bizzle! Yeah, welcome, buddy! <laughs> Thanks, man. It's great to be here. Smiley, welcome back, dude. This is amazing. Oh, baby. You know I love the Bizzlecast. I just want to My thank favorite. you guys for coming on on somewhat short notice around the two-year anniversary. I wanted to do something special, and I couldn't imagine anything better. Yeah. Well, it's a real pleasure to be here, Bizzle. You know, this is uh, – we're getting back to sort of where – where it all started here, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, really quickly, fans, uh, Smiley and myself and Andreas, who uh, we call Dre. So, if you hear me say Dre, I'm talking about Andreas, not Dr. Dre, for most likely. <laughs> um, so, Dre, Smiley, and I uh, became friends at Wesleyan University, which I've talked a lot about, and me and Smiley have talked a lot about on the podcast in the past, and we're going to talk a lot more about today, our, our uh, shared experiences. We lived together there numerous times, and then we lived together in New York following a graduation in Brooklyn. Um, we will get to that as well, but um, Andreas, as, as a form of uh, introing into the podcast, um, I'm going to get an update from Smiley, um, uh, but since we haven't had you on before, would love for you to just sort of introduce yourself, where are you from, where are you at, what you working at, you know, um, just share, share a little bit about yourself with the Bizzlecast. Sure, I'd be happy to, yeah. Um, so, uh, you introduced me as Andreas, uh, or Dre, which is how uh, most of my high school and college friends know me as um, Andreas is my, my Swedish name. My, uh, so my mother is Swedish and my father's Cuban. Um, and I was, Sweden. that's right. That's right. <laughs> Swedish and Cuban, man. I got the, the hot Cuban blood and the, the, the cold Swedish blood. And uh, so, you know, I'll talk later about that, but, um, but yeah, so I was born to a, you know, a, Cuban dad and a Swedish mother in Methuen, Massachusetts, in the Merrimack Valley. So I've pretty much been a New England boy most of my life. I uh, uh, grew up in New Hampshire um, and uh, went to school, high, uh, you know, elementary school, high school in New Hampshire until going off to college at, at Wesleyan, where I met you boys. Um, and uh, yeah, so, um, you know, I, 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 I uh, live now in Belmont, uh, Massachusetts, on the Cambridge line. Cambridge. Cambridge. Yeah, that's right. Um, Smiley's uh, old stomping grounds, Cambridge, mm-hmm. of course. Um, so I'm right near there. Um, and uh, I live with my, my amazing wife, uh, Manuela Igel. Uh, Manuela. Yeah. Shout out, and, Manuela. Yeah, she's, uh, she's, she's around. She's, um, she's doing well. She's, uh, we're actually expecting uh, uh, a, a, a baby boy in a month. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's incredible news. So Manuela and I have been together for you know, four years now. We got married this past summer, which was amazing. Uh, one of the great all-time weddings. We've had a lot of great friends' weddings, from uh, but that was one of the best. A classic. Yeah. It was magical. magical. It was magical. Um, yeah, there was a lot of love in the air. It was, it was in a beautiful, beautiful location out in Western Mass. And, uh, you know, Smiley uh, officiated, which, which was just so, so special and meaningful. And he did an incredible job, of course. Um, and um, 
so yeah, so we got married in August, and 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 then a very quick turnaround, and we're expecting a kid already in, in May. Um, so I'm actually sitting here at home uh, in the glider in our nursery. Um, Aww. <laughs> I've sort of put <laughs> myself in the in the nursery here for this for get, this past. Get, get ready for Uncle Bizzle and Uncle Smiley, baby. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's the short version. Um, Awesome. Now, if you, could you talk really quickly about being a teacher and an educator? Um, oh, yeah. Ooh. Especially because, uh, you know, you and my sister, actually, although she's a few years younger, had a, had a very similar progression. I mean, she started doing Philly Teaching Fellowship, essentially. Um, and uh, you had a pretty rough go at it from the beginning. You knew you wanted to be a teacher. We lived together when you were first getting your master's in teaching in Brooklyn. We, we're going to get back to Brooklyn. We just talk a little bit about being an educator and a teacher all these years since college. Yeah, absolutely. Um so, uh, you know, during, I guess, senior year at Wesleyan, when it came time to look, uh, look into jobs, which was such an uh, overwhelming thing at the time, um, you know, I, I knew I had student loans to pay off. Um, you know, I, I wasn't really sure what I, what I wanted, wanted to do, uh, to be quite honest. I did know that I, 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 did know that I, I, I had the potential to be a really good teacher, um, and so, and that I was interested in education. Um, so, you know, so I started looking at teaching jobs, um, and my parents, uh, were sort of pushing for me to go the private school route. Um, my, my dad made a career as a language teacher in, in, um, private schools. Um, your dad taught at your school, right? You didn't mention that. My dad taught at my high school. I went to yeah. a, uh, Yep. A boarding school up in New Hampshire, um, and you know, I, I, I grew up on on the campus, and I went to public school until I ended up going uh, to uh, uh, to the school, uh, St. St. Paul School up in New Hampshire, and mm-hmm. uh, my dad was teaching there, um, and uh, so I had at that time I kind of had one foot in public school uh, as a as a child, and then one foot you know in private school as the you know the son of a. Of a, of, a, of a private school teacher uh, living on the campus there. So that was an interesting dynamic. Um, but so I, I didn't want to go that route. I didn't want to go the private school route because that's what my parents wanted me to do, right? And I also wanted to sort of, I wanted to be more socially, uh, I wanted to be involved sort of more in something that was more um, involved with social justice. You know, I wanted to give yep. back. Um, and so um, I looked into... Uh, teaching elementary school and teaching in public school. Um, and some, some of the, one of the programs that, um, I applied for was the New York city teaching fellows program. Um, so why don't we, um, why don't we just bookmark that and we'll jump back for sure. um, because that's a yeah. big part of our story about living in New York together, obviously yeah. Yeah. What was the, the travails of working in the uh, New York city public school system. Um, so, uh, we're going to start getting into our time together in school and beyond people, but really quickly, Smiley, welcome back. Um, it's awesome to have you back. As you know, the last podcast we did together last year was really successful. And to be honest with you, like late summer of last year, the Bizzlecast wasn't getting a lot of attention for whatever reason. I thought I'd built up momentum. I was almost ready to hang it up a little bit, but I did an interview with you and I did an interview with our friend Laura Katana from uh, Wesleyan. 
And those two interviews were awesome and did really, really well and continued to do well. And that actually gave a big boost both to me wanting to keep doing it and to people's interest in the Bizzlecast. And actually, we just came off by far the most listened to month of the Bizzlecast in two years, which is a great second anniversary present. So nice. would love to hear yeah. what you've been up to. And as close as we are, you are, you are constantly traveling around doing stuff. I can't even keep up with anything. So we'll, we'll get back to some of the more specifics. But can you give us just a little update? about what's been going on with Smiley over the last, I don't know, six, seven months or so? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me back. Uh, i just like to say before I start that um, yeah. it's one of the pleasures of my life to be able to do this podcast with you two Seriously. people today. They got it now, Robbie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We're going to be laughing a lot, but we might just start crying <laughs> out of sentimentality at some point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the last waltz. Um <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, uh it's great to be back. I think the last time we chatted, Bizzle, uh was last year. I was kind of gearing up for the big marketing push for the book to come out. So the published version of my book came out in October, the quarter life breakthrough. Mm-hmm. Uh I, I self-published a version of it two years ago, uh, and then had the opportunity to publish it. So kind of had both experiences. And that was a lot of work and kind of going back to a first product and then making it better. Uh, and then I've been kind of on the road speaking about the book and the subjects in the book, Millennials in the Workplace, ever since. So I spend about half my time on the road, which is exciting, but also can be a little bit can wear on you for sure um, and get a little lonely and a lot of nights at hotels. But the good thing is that, you know, I've figured out a way to kind of uh, turn this this writing and this work that I'm doing into a business, which is exciting. And I found that the speaking is a lot more lucrative uh, than the writing, which mm-hmm. I, you know, people tell you, but you don't, you kind of have to experience firsthand. So now actually my work is public speaking, is going into companies or conferences and talking about this generation, millennials in the workplace, what people are looking for, how to engage the next generation. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something I never thought I'd be doing 15 years ago back in college. So life gives you a lot of surprises. It's interesting how we all sort of ended up being educators in very different ways, um, which we'll get get back to later. Um, so, uh, we'll hear some more details about your, what your guys last couple of years have been like, but I want to jump into the, uh, you know, the kind of formation of what we affectionately called the Ruby crew, um, at, at Wesleyan, you, you, so here's what I'm thinking. So th- th- you guys met each other first and then I sort of met you guys and then we ended up living together semi by accident sophomore year. Um, I mean, you two knew you were living together. I wasn't sure what the hell I was doing. And I just ended up at, at the same place as you, that, you know, which was miraculous. So, Andreas, let me start with you. And uh, normally when I have two people on the podcast, it's sort of like a three-way interview where we just kind of go around. But since this is a shared experience and shared stories, it's going to just sort of have to flow organically. So um, I'll start with you, Andreas, on this one. What were your expectations going into Wesleyan? Did you know a lot about it? Did you know anyone else that was going there? And then you can also sort of talk about your initial impressions uh, of when you arrived at Wesleyan. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, um, let me pass my mind back, man. It seems like another, just another lifetime. It's you know? crazy. Um, it's, it's 16 <laughs> years ago. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> right. 16 right. years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 16 years ago when we first started, started. 
Mm. Um, yeah, man. I, so, God, I, I got to put myself back in my, you know, yeah. how old was I? 18-year-old shoes. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know anything, you know. I, I, I didn't know anything. That was probably what, what, what uh, how I was feeling. Um, you know, looking back you on hear, it. Now, how did you hear about Wesleyan? So, um, you know, I suppose senior year in high school, uh, uh, you know, I, ha- I had to go and meet with college counselor and uh, weighed various options and was given various, you know, options. Um, I think, what was it that appealed to me about Wesleyan? You know, I ver- remember very little about the process, to be quite honest with you. I didn't apply to that many schools. Um, but I think there was something about, there was something about the, the size of the school, um, the fact that it was known for, uh, you know, for its music scene, for its film scene, for its arts scene, the fact that it was closer to New York city, um, you know, cause I was growing up up in New Hampshire, uh, not a very multicultural um, cosmopolitan, you know, I was in the capital Concord, but, you know, um, I, you know, I, I wanted to sort of expand my horizons. I had spent time in Spain in high school. Um, and, uh, you know, I wanted to experience something that was going to be new and eye opening and, and not so buttoned up preppy as my high school experience. Um, mm-hmm. so that's where I was coming from. And, um, you know, when I got to Wesleyan and, 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 and walked, you know, walked by Foss Hill and I think it was on a, maybe on a tour and saw, you know, saw people jamming out, playing music on the hill and playing Frisbee in the grass. And I was like, man, this is where I want to be, you know? Yeah. Little, little did you know that it was a school full of rich people pretending that they weren't rich. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. You know, we could, yeah. <laughs> we'll get back to that. Uh, Smiley, do you do you have uh, do you have any uh, recollections of uh, you know h- how you ended up at Wesleyan? Um, did you know people that were there? Family, friends? Yeah, my path to college was a little bit interesting. Like I, uh, you know, so I went to Ringe, Cambridge and Latin Public School in Cambridge. Uh, great public school, but you know, also um, a huge school. So a lot of people don't actually even end up going to schools or or top schools. Um, I was, uh, you know, I was very dork, uh, very much a dork, big nerd in high school, uh, track kid, you know, got good grades, wanted to go to a good school. I really wanted to go to Brown, um, Brown university because they had this, like, you know, um, you don't, you have like, you get, don't have to pick a major. You can take all these different classes and they had this like modern culture and media studies thing, which is basically a bunch of you know, bullshit, but seemed really cool at the time. Um, so that got me really excited, but I applied early, didn't get in. It was like the worst day of my life. I like thought, I was, you know, I, I I, like thought it was all over for me. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I applied my, the other schools that I was, were considering was, uh, Vassar. I went to visit Vassar um, which is actually really cool. And I think I would have done well there. It's like, a, it's an artsy school, like Wesleyan, mm-hmm. um, very, you know, counterculture. Um, and I was pretty much considering going there or UMass Amherst, which my dad really wanted me to go to cause he thought Wesleyan was way too overpriced. 
um, which he, which he's, which he's correct about. But I uh, ended up getting into Wesleyan off the waiting list. Um, and I went to visit and a couple kids from Ringe had gone there. Some really interesting, cool, like, you know, kind of well-rounded artsy theater musicians slash also runners slash just cool people from Cambridge. And like, you know, that knew me as Smiley, you know, I had the nickname from high school. So they took me around and I was like, yeah, this place seems rad. Mm-hmm. Um, and just seemed like a good, it seemed like a good fit. It seemed like a good balance between, you know, the education and the social arts, um, yeah. chillness. And, uh, I'm really glad I made that choice because it really was the right fit for me. Yeah, I'll yeah. just tell my story really quickly. Um, I've told the story before, which is I applied to eight colleges. The only one that rejected me was Brown, and I was equally devastated at the time. Um, and I actually, Wesleyan was low on my list because I felt like it was going to be too small. But I kept eliminating other schools, and it ended up being the last one. And I did a sec. I had visited it a few years before with a family friend, but then I went and visited my friend Donnie Rothstein, who was, I think, a sophomore, junior at time at the time at Wesleyan, who went to my camp and was a good friend of mine from the camp days. And he just took me around. He lived in Wesco, and so I got to chill in Wesco. And he took me to some events, and I was like, "Okay, this place is pretty dope." Um, I ended up uh, uh, knowing a decent amount about it, although I certainly wasn't ready for the level of intense, you know, activism or whatever you want to call it that's there. Maybe we'll get into that later. Um, but I had a pretty good sense of having gone with a couple friends. So, okay, so fast forward, we're at Wesleyan, orientation, you guys lived in the same dorm, right? So well, let's start it this way. Smile, let's start with you this time. How did you and Andreas end up sort of connecting? Oh, wow, that's a good question. Taking me back to the uh, hallways of Nick 5, Nick 5.5. <laughs> the, the dark, smelly hallways of Nicholson 5, circa two thousand and. Five. Oh my God. Um, no, 2001. No, 2001. 2001. Oh my God. Oh, that's, an- 2005 smile. Oh, that's another lifetime ago. Yep. Um, but yeah, basically, you know, I, Dre and I didn't show that much right away early in, in uh, freshman year, if I recall correctly. Uh, we knew each other. We had some friends uh, in Nick five mixed drink, Jeff, uh, of course, BD, um, you know, and some of the characters. And I would sometimes, uh, you know, wander down the hallways and uh, Dre live with uh, Scandalous, Seth Warren, and they'd be blasting, uh, you know, Reflection reflection Eternal, Talib Kweli and High Tech. Um, and, you know, wander in there, and, you know, chill, hang out, you know. Uh, yeah, totally. Seth, Seth would like not have his keys and be climbing through the window. <laughs> uh, so that's how I think we initially met. Uh, I think then we became buddies because we were both home in Boston for winter break freshman year. Is that, is that correct, Dre? And then, man, I think that's right. I mean, you know, I, my memories of the, of that first of freshman year are similar of, of, you know, spending time in that, cinder block bunker, you know, in, in, in <laughs> on the ground, essentially, at ground, or at ground level, uh, you know. Literally on the ground. Warm, uh, filthy carpeting in the hallway. Oh, you know, it's like, how much money did, did, you know, our parents spend to send us there? 
Yeah, My dad's listening. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't get him going. We've had this yeah. discussion. So, at any rate, uh, that was that was yeah. That's that was those, those were our living conditions. They weren't they weren't great, but we didn't really. I didn't care. You know, I was thrilled. You know, we were hanging out. You know, we you know we were we were living in a dorm with a bunch of kids and you know young people that wanted to have a good time and 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 uh, you know it was. I remember you. I remember a huge horde of people, you know, walking by outside my dorm room one one evening, and uh, I, this is I remember the first time I saw. I, I remember seeing you smile. You mm-hmm. came, you came, you came like dancing through the hallway with this other crew, uh, and you had this huge smile on your face, and uh, just I was like struck by your smile, you know, and uh, you guys just sort of came plowing through the hallway. And someone was like, "We're going to this party, you know. You got to come with." And I ended up swept up in this train. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, the gosh. freshman, the freshman party crowds were ridiculous. There was like twenty of us would roll out at once. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, as any you know college kid probably knows, you don't, never really want to go anywhere alone. It's at that stage where you're, yeah. you know, you're not quite confident enough, or, or most people anyway aren't confident enough to just show up at a party on their own so you have to go in especially freshman year and in these hordes you know uh of 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 uh of frosh <laughs> right and anyway so we went to this party and i lost track with smiley for a while and then uh i remember seeing him and you weren't feeling well for some reason smiley i can't remember why you weren't feeling well but you, you know you were sitting on <laughs> a stoop of the party with your head in your hands and you know <laughs> I do not remember this at all. Too many libations, you know. Too many libations, you know. Yeah, all there. And uh, but I remember, you know, I remember you looked up. You looked up, and, the, and obviously you were feeling awful. You know, you looked up, and you just. I looked. I looked at you, and you had this huge smile on your face. You know, this huge grin. You're just having the time of your life. And uh, and that was my first memory of of, of meeting Smiley right there. Uh, wow. I think. Andreas, I think I met you before Smiley because you would hang out at Wesco with like Ashley and Doro and them, right? Am I remembering that correctly? Right. Well, we might have to fill listeners in on what Wesco is. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Without getting anyone in trouble. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, it's a notorious naked dorm, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I uh, you know, I was attracted to that scene over there. Um, <laughs> Tell the truth, I don't remember much of it. <laughs> the article came out, by the way, after we had all been accepted and had our dorms in Wesleyan. It was like, you know, it was like, I think, second semester of our senior year or something with that, yeah. the naked dorm thing came out. My parents were like, uh. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, I think I think what it got wrong was the nudity was equal amongst all the dorms on Foss Hill. <laughs> That's true. That's that's a great point. Yeah, no, I remember the moment where I suddenly realized that it was cool to be naked. You know, and then the, the head- <laughs> totally, you know? yeah, non-judgmental. Yeah, that could be the title of a book. <laughs> right. Oh, it all went downhill after the falafel. Honestly, that had a profound impact on me. I remember I went to the naked party my freshman year at Wesleyan. It was in art house you know and uh and and a bunch of us freshmen in the in the nicholson dorms you know got the got the guts to go we were like we're going we're gonna go to this naked party 
were all nervous about it and we showed up and you know I, I, some members of the management were playing they weren't the management obviously at that time and their band is just totally naked and you walk in the door you know and there's just this mass of naked people and you have to go upstairs and shed your clothes and and and, and come down and, and there's body paint and there's dancing and it's just the and it was a beautiful moment. It was a moment where I realized, you know, that that naked is beautiful, you know, and that all these um, inhibitions and, and, and feeling self-conscious about one's body, you know, that that's just a, a construct, you know, and that 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 uh, it was a really profound, important moment for me because from that, I, I think I gained a lot of, um, I lost a lot of that self-consciousness and, and all those inhibitions that had been building up throughout my childhood and in boarding school and, you know, coming to Wesley and it was a very freeing experience, you know? Yep. Um, totally. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one thing that people say about Wesleyan, uh, said at the time or in retrospect, mostly as a positive, maybe with a few downsides is that it really felt like camp, right? And it was, some, it was sometimes hard to focus on studies and stuff because it had such a camp-like environment. There's so many activities, and you're sitting on the hill, and you're you know having a couple beers, and you're playing guitar, and you know people are banging the drums, and people are pulling pranks. I mean, I, I had had the summer camp experience. A lot of that was sort of familiar uh, to me, um, but that was sort of a revelation um, for for some people, I, I would say. Right? That that if, uh, some, like what goes this way? We know lots of people who who Wesleyan freshman year was their first extended time away from home without adult supervision right Um, yeah yeah i would say that it's it was an environment where you know you really felt um i felt like i could kind of just be myself right uh and that it was cool to be yourself i definitely at high in high school didn't necessarily feel that i went to a big large urban public high school uh and there were some great you know great kids there i had some great friends but i think that there wasn't like the cool kids were not the people that were, that were reading. Let's just say that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there was a little bit of a culture of like anti-learning or anti, you know, like it was cool to be like, to not do the homework. And then it was cool at Wesley and they realized like, Oh man, like the people that are like cool or getting laid are like smart, <laughs> you know, and like running, you know, in a band or writing a play or, you know, doing 15 things or interested in social justice or, you know, like want to make a movie, you know, those are the cool kids. So I thought that was awesome because I hadn't necessarily experienced that, yeah. uh, in high school. Yeah. That was actually, uh, difficult for me because I was always the weird different kid growing up. And then at Wesleyan, I was like, not one of the weirder kids, you know, mm. and like, it, it, it was almost a little strange not being <laughs> the weird one. I, I mean, uh, in terms of, um, you take the people that wasn't and put them in, in normal society. Like, for example, as we've talked about, you know, like I'm a very liberal progressive guy, but at Wesleyan, I, I wasn't anywhere near as liberal as, as most of the people there. It was just, it was just a very arresting change. Like, you know, I, I felt like I had had to hold in all my nerdy interests and stuff growing up at my various schools because it wasn't cool yet in the 90s to be a nerd. Now, you know, being into comic books and, you know, sci-fi and, you know, uh, talking about astrophysics and cosmology, all these things that I love, you know, were, were like a really like subculture of mine in, in my various schools growing up. 
and to come to Wesleyan where being a nerd was like embraced and, and, and kind of normalized, uh, but even more extreme, um, I, I was, was a little bit of, uh, of an arresting experience. And I didn't always feel like I, I fit in because there was a lot of like, of like super alternative kind of activities kind of going on. Totally. Yeah, I think uh, like to call Wesley and the Revenge of the Nerds, you know. Totally. Yeah, and it is in the movie PCU. By the way, people, if you've seen it, is by and about Wesley and essentially. Right. Um, uh, although you know PCU makes fun of the political correctness at Wesley and among other things, um, uh, but yeah, it, it's it's certainly that. Um, so okay, so in an effort to kind of focus into greater themes here, because we could just tell stories all day. There were some really interesting cultural things that were going on at Wesleyan. Um, two classes above us was a young man named Lynn Manuel Miranda, who's now like one of the biggest stars in the world um, across media. Now we knew that there was a lot of artsy people already that had come out of uh, Wesleyan in the past. You know, Joss Whedon, um, uh, what's his face, uh, who just won the um, uh, Lan- L- L- Lanigan, L- Larnigan. What's his name? He did Manchester by the Sea. Kenneth. Kenneth Lar- Lar- oh yeah, he got all the a ton of shit recently because he. Right. Did you hear about that? Long yeah, because again. the Argus, which is the Wesleyan newspaper, wrote an article about how Casey Affleck is basically a, a woman abuser, which I've been on record on the podcast as being very critical of Casey Affleck's you know activities. Um, and so you know he felt Kenneth Lonergan felt like he had to defend Casey's honor bizarrely. Um, but, but he uh, wrote an op-ed in the Argus, and uh, <laughs> I know that's what I'm saying. Yeah, the best but comment yeah. was like, "Didn't you, dude? Didn't you just win an Oscar? Why yeah. are you writing an op-ed in the Argus?" Totally, totally. <laughs> like, yeah. get over don't get me started on the Affleck brothers. Uh, but uh, but you know, he, he went to Wesleyan. Uh, people, we don't like to talk about it. Michael Bay went to Wesleyan. Um, but a lot of also activists and, and, and theater people and artists and people who are in the know of these things, you know, um, went to Wesleyan. And I think it's fair to say, guys, that the rise of hipsterism sort of happened while we were there. Like, I had never even heard the term hipster before I got to Wesleyan, except in Seinfeld, where, you know, she calls hip, uh, uh, Kramer a hipster doofus or whatever. And I didn't even know what that meant at the time. And it, we, we ended up being in the same class and, and even being friendly with two of the, you know, guys that would become like hipster legend icons. Um, uh, in, in the band, the management, which would later become MGMT, and I felt like our friends were more hippies, and it was sort of an interesting culture clash. Um, and, and, right? I mean, it wasn't like hipsters and the hippies weren't friends, but it just it did. There did seem to be a split in culture. Uh, what, as we went along there, I think. I don't know if you guys sort of felt that. And then by the time when we graduated and moved to Brooklyn, like hipster was hipsterism was sort of in full bloom. Yeah, absolutely. Um, smiley, Did you sense that, Andreas? Did you like you know the the rise of indie rock and stuff like that, which was just sort of happening as we got there? Yeah, you know, I. It's interesting because um, growing up at a at a, a boarding school, um, the sort of counterculture um, at St. Paul's was uh, you know the hippie was the hippie kids basically. It was we yep, you know yep. the kids that would listen to the Grateful Dead and go into the woods and build forts, you know, to escape the, you know, oppressive nature of, uh, of, uh, boarding school, you know, it was, um, uh, and so then there, of course there were the high school cliques, you know, and, um, 
but I, I tended to drift more towards the the, uh, the hippie kids, you know. Um, and so coming to Wesleyan was was really interesting um, because there certainly were also kids who maybe would fall under that label. Um, but then there was this whole group of New Yorkers, um, and that was new to me. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I've even ever been to New York growing up in New Hampshire as a kid. Uh, you know, and uh, so um, to me, uh, it, it was it was very different to to hang out and and meet um, uh, kids from New York. You know, just stylistically what they were into, um, and. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know how to sort of put it into words, but it was definitely a, 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 a uh, I don't know, it didn't really, cl- the worlds didn't really clash, but they didn't have mesh either, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, you know, for example, uh, freshman year, like uh, Van Weingarten and, and I, we'd be studying and consuming some stuff while studying that we probably should have been consuming, and then listening to Fella. I mean, we, we love Fella. We sort of bonded mm-hmm. over Fella. So, you know, there, there were mutual connections across, across it, but um, the eclectic house, and this will be a good transition, Wesleyan's known for its sort of themed houses, some of which are historical. The, the three of us got super close at International House, which had nothing to do with internationalism, and we actually, <laughs> we, we, we were responsible for the end of that house. Uh, I don't know how long it had been, but if I could you, just interject, if yes. I could just interject for a moment, I do believe it was intercultural house. It oh, was. was intercultural. Oh, you're right. International house was a different house. My bad. Intercultural house, <laughs> which makes even less sense. That's right. how we all became friends. The three of us. I mean, like, bo- bo- like boys. Like that's how we like really like became boys. Was set sophomore year at iHouse. Yep. Yeah, and uh, you know, if, again, if you guys have seen the movie PCU, the, at the end when with uh, P Funk plays, that's in uh, pro- maybe the oldest of the the, the houses that aren't frats uh, or weren't frats, eclectic house, and that sort of became the house of of the hipsters. You know, that's like where you wanted to be or whatever. And there's some great shows and parties there. It's sort of a weird place. Yeah, but we ended up this place, intercultural house, and I only went there because I kind of knew you guys, and I wanted to be off camp, like physically off campus. I knew you guys and I knew Edil, and somehow we all ended up there <laughs> and um, causing some problems for that house, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> <laughs> it was a ragtag group of people. I think uh, the most reason people ended up in that house is because they like didn't get housing elsewhere. Right. So, or they didn't do well in the lottery or didn't get. So then there was this house that came on, a program house that came on the market. Uh, with these big rooms, you know, it was a little bit far away. I mean, for Wesleyan, it was about as far away from campus as you could get. That was on the, yeah. it was next to the Midas station, the Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts, baby. On Washington Street, uh, you know, a good 15-minute walk from uh, from uh, Olin, from the library. But mm-hmm. it had these big rooms, that vast cul-de-sac driveway when you rolled up, um, you know, and... Uh, we certainly clashed, uh, but there was, you know, there was a crew of amazing people in that house. If you remember, Edil, Carrie, Des, mm-hmm. uh, who else was in there? Um, Scottish, the Scottish folks. <laughs> there was Lord. Um, <laughs> That's right. I do remember distinctly right. Bizzle, and Bizzlecast listeners will probably appreciate this. Oh yeah, uh, the the foundation of you know Bizzle getting some of his, uh, you know. Uh, 
ability to stand on the pulpit and, 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 and express his opinions. We had a party, uh, I believe, uh, what was the name? What was uh, the band called? Um, Sivan's band. Um, oh, was, were they still? Post No Bills. Post No Bills. Oh, Post No Bills, yeah. Post No Bills played in the living room, which is actually a dope room for like a house show. It was a big room. Yeah. You know, and we had a keg and maybe some jungle juice or, you know, what have you. And, uh, you know, public safety was called, you know, public safety always had this kind of like, you know, they didn't really have any authority. I mean, it was a real interesting relationship. I don't know what's going on now with, the, I hear Middletown police are more involved, but public safety came and they cut, shut it down and you got on the mic and said, thank you public safety for keeping us safe. Keeping us safe. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, oh anyways, God. I'll never forget that moment. I don't, I, I, even for someone like me, I still can't believe I did that. They didn't even know what was going on, which is the hilarious part. No, nothing ever happened, but, uh, yeah. there was definitely a room and uh, so that no one lived in there that was like basically covered in red, um, <laughs> by the end of that year from all the jungle juice that was like getting flung around. Um, yeah, we really went crazy at that house. Um, but yeah, of the color red, you know? Oh yes. I want to, I want to get to to the Ruby thing like right now, but (laughs) okay. Yeah. Yeah. So really quickly. That red room, man. That was the red room, the red planet. Right. So we're going to get into the, (laughs) we're going to get into the red thing. Um, but I just, you know, the other thing was because we were physically far from the rest of campus and we had a huge space that also had like an outdoor space, it was just like a natural place to throw parties. And, uh, you know, you, you guys know this because I was already old for my grade and then I took a year off, um, before I, I came to Wesleyan. I turned 20 at the beginning of freshman year and 21 at the beginning of senior year. So, like, guess who bought all the kegs tw- sophomore, junior year, you know? And the problem was, you know, so I would buy people. I I mean, people give me money. We go buy the kegs. Remember Dave Ball's old sob where we'd stash everything, (laughs) the old, the old black sob, Um, and uh, you know they make you put your name on the uh, on the keg. This is so ridiculous, but you guys have to know the story if you're if you're younger than us and listening to this. So you'd have to physically sign something, and they would put it on the keg. This piece of paper that was like a sticker. So that, you know, you could get your deposit back and they would know whose it was and blah, 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 blah. So we developed this method of using like a, a lightly damp like washcloth and we put it over the sticker because if, if, if the party got busted, which it, it inevitably would, my name was literally written all over it, right? Like, I, like I'm clearly the one responsible for the uh, underage drinking that was going on there. And, uh, you know, we'd pull it off and then we'd have to put it back on. I mean, it's unbelievable the types of schemes. That we we know that we would that we would come up with, and after a while, it wasn't even worth that because the keg deposit was like ten bucks, I think. So you know, by senior year, we had a stack of empty kegs that you know we could have built a, a tower on. Uh, it was it was pretty crazy. I will say though, we gave public safety a hard time, but we had it pretty good compared to Smiley. You were hinting at this. We had it pretty good in terms of getting away with stuff and, and not oh, yeah. getting in too much trouble. Um, and I think they handled it mostly right back then, where they, they, you know, there were kids who would get hospitalized or who were stupidly doing hard drugs and stuff like that. Like that's what they were really supposed to be there for, you know, is people would not get hurt. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, sure. I, I thought they had, you know, I know that before, like in the years leading up to when we started at Wesleyan, people were getting away with even more stuff. It was like too crazy. Mm-hmm. So we sort of got there at, like a good time, and it seemed like they started cracking down kind of shortly after after we got there, and which was confirmed on on the the, the various. Um, 
reunions, uh, commencements that we would go to, you could sort of tell that they were mainstreaming the campus, as as we said, right? So we were sort of there right, right in the sweet spot. Um, so do you guys want to comment on that before we jump into the whole Ruby thing? Um, no. <laughs> I, I mean, I think... <laughs> That's marvelous. I think it, it, in retrospect, I mean, I wouldn't have, I know, I wouldn't change, I wouldn't have changed it for the world. I mean, I, I, I you know, Wesley and I met you guys and some of my, you know, some of the most amazing people, uh, my favorite people in the world. Um, I just, in terms of my own experience in, in retrospect, like the, the party, partying was fun, but I, man, I, I wish I had, you know, I wish it maybe had not been so over the top. Yeah. You know, I agree with you. So buddy. destructive. Cause I lost sight of a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of things like, you know, we were living in intercultural house, man, what an opportunity to actually, you know, uh, uh, have a community, you know, where we could have discussed, uh, you know, uh, uh, different cultures and had programs where we, you know, doing what you like, you know, uh, having bands uh, come and play, um, you know, uh, from different parts of the world or invite, you know, musicians to come and play or, you know, just make people more aware of multi of, of, of uh, different cultures and different perspectives. And my mind wasn't really in it, you know, and I kind of wish it had been more, more in it. Um, mm-hmm. And part of that was due to my, you know, maybe my boarding school experience as well. I think um, boarding school is, and, 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 and a lot of sort of campus college life revolves around drinking and revolves around binge drinking, you know? Um, and, uh, I don't know, you know, I, I wish, I wish at times that it, it, it hadn't have been that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, by senior year, I actually didn't party that much senior year, which sort of hurt my social life a little bit. But to be fair, I'd started a company at the beginning of senior year. Um, but yeah, after sophomore year where I was very reckless, I, I went to Africa and that really changed me. And I came back and, uh, I got more focused on my studies in senior year. You know, I had my, my big senior essay first semester, which I was very involved with. And then, you know, by the second, by the second semester senior year, we were having senior cocktails and things like that. I started getting a little more social, but it, it was overload for me. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, again, <laughs> you guys don't have to reveal too much, but it was never that I was like drinking ridiculous amounts ridiculous amounts at once it was just the number of nights i was going out and partying if that makes sense right um and then i sort of sort of um turtled into my shell a little bit junior year and even more uh senior year um to focus on my studies and i was dealing with some health issues as you guys know and like different stuff and so uh i so i sort of have yeah i sort of feel like freshman year was one experience sophomore year was an experience abroad and then post abroad was like a whole nother experience for me so anyway so we were hanging out at this place and I, I think it's pretty safe to say within like a few days, every single night we were chilling in your guy's room where you had a, it was basically a tiny two, uh, two bed, um, two person. It wasn't that tiny. When, hold on, hold on. The sleeping area was a very small one room with two beds, but then you had this ginormous outer lounge room, which were filled with couches, which was red all over the place. We would listen to Fella. We would listen to Marley. Um, and, uh, that just became the hangout spot for like us and yeah, and Karen and Deal and a few others from the house. And then, but I mean, we really were able to get our friends who normally uh, didn't want to leave, you know, Foss Hill area basically, um, to come a lot because of that place. So, uh, Andreas, I'm going to throw this to you first. 
So sure. we're known as the Ruby crew. We use the word Ruby, yes, as in terms of the gemstone, R-U-B-Y, although we pronounce it Aroba. If anyone out there knows us or has ever seen us together in some of our extended friends group and constantly saying Aroba, um, why don't we explain to the listeners where the hell our, the obsession with the red and Ruby uh, came from, Andreas? Yeah, well, it came, uh, it came from one friend in particular. Um, um, you know, we, we it was uh, one of our good friends, one of our one of our best buddies, a, a, a good good friend of mine who I see quite often now in in the Boston area. He lives down in Quincy and teaches uh, Chinese. Uh, Seth Warren, uh, scandalous Seth Warren, um, coined the term Ruby. Um, we went to dinner at a Ruby Tuesdays. That's right, a Ruby Tuesdays for someone's birthday. And as we were walking, you know, through the parking lot to the restaurant, and my sister was there. Oh, Becca was there. Yeah, wow, I remember that? Um, yeah. Well, you know, Seth just kind of started playing around with the with the term Ruby. You know, Ruby Tuesdays. He in high school, he, uh, you know, Seth grew up in Providence and. Uh, uh, he, uh, you know, he used to, um, he used to, he, he could, he could flow a little bit, you know, he used to drop some rhymes and, and, mm. and, uh, um, so he was sort of playing around, I think with the, I did with, the with the term Ruby Tuesdays and he started doing a little rock, 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 robot, 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 robot. Uh, <laughs> and I just kind of started throwing, you know, throwing around, playing around with it. And we thought it was just hilarious and sounded, you know, just hilarious to say and so we started uh chiming in and for some reason the 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 ruby and ruby tuesdays just sort of stuck and it became kind of like a a a rallying cry a a a greeting a um like it's like shalom it's like hello goodbye peace yeah Yeah. and we just uh, you know there may have been um you know other reasons that it 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 sounded so funny at the time (laughs) you know you know i don't know if uh yeah i mean well well, the interesting thing was going on but yeah the uh the red the redness you know of, of rubies i mean it was sort of a coincidence because you guys lived in this room that was like blindingly red which of course made you think of, and and this is another great lead-in. Probably the main, if not one of the top three things that we bonded over was Seinfeld, Seinfeld and we still yeah. bond over Seinfeld. We still quote Seinfeld. We've probably already quoted Seinfeld three or four times in this podcast. I don't even know. I've lost track. And the Red Planet was, of course, the episode of the Kenny Roasters, uh, <laughs> Kenny Rogers Roasters episode of Seinfeld, where the the sign uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, Kramer's uh, room is right next to the new Kenny Rogers Roaster, and there's this red chicken side that you know is making it you know unbearably red in there. And he convinces Jerry to switch uh, switch rooms, and they end up oh. switching personalities. Yeah. All I can see is that giant red side in the shape of a chicken. <laughs> oh, I'm stressed. <laughs> that looked like milk to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, uh, the 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 Kramer gag, the Michael Richards gag, where he opens the door and falls backwards from the the, <laughs> br- the blindingness of the light, is maybe the greatest single piece of physical comedy that's ever been. Uh, so good. <laughs> so you guys called your, your place the Red Planet, right? I was that. Did that come immediately? I don't remember that part. Well, yeah, that came from that episode, you know, when Jerry asks Kramer, oh, so how's life on the Red Planet? You know, 
Yeah. If I remember correctly, and this this is an interesting, uh, you know, to, to show you how old we are. I think we had a certain number of Seinfeld episodes downloaded on my computer, right? I used to have a PC desktop. <laughs> I think we had a certain number of episodes, right? Maybe like five or six or whatever. And, no, and we would watch them over that. and over again because this was before the DVDs. The DVDs came out senior year, I think, because I distinctly remember like going to get them at Blockbuster Video or something. <laughs> this is also before Amazon. Yeah, um, it's actually so not before Amazon, but that's okay. Well, we didn't. I didn't. Wasn't ordering shit on Amazon in college, were you? Uh, oh yeah, I, I was ordering school books from Amazon. Oh really? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I don't remember that. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you're right about the DVDs. They weren't out. It was like very hard to get. I think it was DVDs, more than six, but I, yeah, it could be. Yeah. Right. So let's say we had like a certain number of them, and maybe you had some on uh, some yeah. files. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, and there were some of the classics. But we watched them all, like on repeat, and Ken, the, you know, Chicken Roaster was one of them. Yeah. Um, but you know that room, like it was, uh, it was so hard to get people. So we'd always have these like great like ciphers in there, just great people come and listen to music, hanging out, um, and that's kind of like you know how I, we became close with Hetty and Prager and you know and Ashley and everyone would you know come chill in that room and Emma and Beatty and EJ and. Um, you know, the, and Herman, the Wesco crew, and you know, I it believe, was. Uh, I believe yeah. in the Victorian days that would be called a salon. A salon. That's right. Yeah. It was a salon. Yeah. Um, and Bizzle, like I remember going up into your room. We would talk philosophy. We would talk Lord of the Rings. You know. Um, but I lived in a tiny, tiny, tiny room, and so tiny room. I was mostly in Edil's room or your guys' room. Edil's room That's was right. extremely uh, uh, smelly, but uh, uh, so even she was trying to escape it, would come down to your place. The four of us, I think, really were there a lot. Um, is my yes. recollection is the four of us mostly. Yeah, yeah to Edil, by the way. Edil. Yeah. Love by Edil. the way, her room wasn't smelly because she's smelly. It was just a smelly room. It's like the smelly car, the, you know? She wasn't the cleanest person. Oh, smelly too, yeah. Our room was smelly, too, yeah. Oh, right. But it was so big, and you guys oh, would crack open the windows. Yeah. Smelly, and we'd steal someone's tofuti cooties. Yeah. I think that it was the single... The, the salon room was the single biggest room connected to, like, a dorm thing on the campus that I know about. I mean, it was... I can remember the high ceilings, how open it was. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, it's probably the size about, of our Brooklyn apartment. Yeah. Another thing about that room that I'd like to add, and, yeah. and also about my, my me and Seth's room our freshman year in the Nick, Knicks, were that was that Seth and I had this advantage coming from a boarding school. Seth Warren and I actually went to high school together, uh, and where we had you know been living away from home for already for four years in high school, you know, and we had figured out this way to maximize sort of a chill space, like creating a, mm-hmm. uh, like a living room within a dormitory. And the, you know, the way to do this was to put the two beds in the far, in, in one of the rooms. Yeah. And then in the second room, create a common area. You, you know? guys sacrificed. You really did. I'm not making this up. You guys sacrificed <laughs> that so that there could be a common area. No. So we had to sleep in the same room Two our two beds were in the same room. Um, and then, and then in the second room, you know, there was a fridge and there were, you know, there was a couple couches and rag, raggy couches, but, um, you know, it created this place to hang out and, and, you know, 
uh, the salon, as you were saying. And so Smiley and I recreated this at, at, at iHouse um, in the in the Red Planet, you know, with the red, uh, the the red wall to wall carpeting. Um, and in the first big room, we had you know a couple couches, and then in the back room is where we had our beds. Um, so yeah, that was an interesting interesting uh, uh, setup, but it worked really well. I think. Well, I think you know, I think um, in some ways uh, over the years we sort of disproved uh, feng shui in the sense of I think we really proved that creating an environment that because of the people was cool and comfortable that people would want to come there as opposed to the aesthetics, right? I mean, the Red Planet Room was really cool looking, but our, our apartment in Brooklyn was tiny. And we had friends who, you know, lived with parents or had huge places in New York who would constantly come to our place because it was just like the chill spot, right? I mean, we had friends from Manhattan who would regularly come or other parts of Brooklyn regularly come to hang out at our place in Park Slope in Brooklyn. And I think you guys have always done a great job of being like... Um, you know, like sort of hosts, you know, I mean, think about it like that room was it like a salon. I mean, 84 high street, like that house was definitely a house, a social house before we got there, but it was even more of a social house when we got there. And then, uh, even your guys play senior year often had parties and other events and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if you guys consciously sort of did that. I think it's just your personalities was just, you know, makes people feel, feel at home, feel, e- feel uh, e- easy, easy skanking. If you know what I mean? <laughs> I love being a host. Yeah. You guys were great at it. Um, the problem with being a host in college is that you end up partying more than you want, probably. You right. know, but um, yeah. and, and things get broken as well occasionally. Um, <laughs> but uh, that was that was really a, a game changing experience. Um, uh, junior uh, sophomore year, and then junior year, we both were abroad uh, first semester. Um, uh, Smiley was in Cuba. I was in Africa, and God, Andres, I can't remember. You were you in Italy or France? You were in France. I was in La France. Yeah. France. Oh, Chaos uh, was in I visited, Italy. I visited Italy briefly with Dave Rigojavo yeah. and Kevin Haas. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was in France. So we had amazing experiences abroad, and we came back, lived together second semester junior year. Then we didn't live together senior year, but we were at each other's places constantly. Um, we weren't far from one another. I don't. I don't think. Were you guys on High Street? Seventy two yeah. High Street. Yeah. Yeah, you really weren't high. far because we were just uh, almost at the corner of Williams and and High. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Um, and so, uh, uh, what? What? Um, uh, what was I, I going to ask? What, what were some other? Um, and then we'll move into our time together in Brooklyn. What were some other sort of uh, weird or interesting or, or funny memories that you guys guys have from from our our time in school? Oh man! <laughs> we saw tons of great music. Um, great music, and, and we we would actually drive regularly to New Haven, to Hartford, uh, oh, to Providence. God. I mean, do you remember the Common and Talib Kweli show in Providence? Yeah, I, at Lupo's probably right. At Lupo's, and, and uh-huh. they did uh, they did um, what's it called from the Black Star album live? The two of them on stage. Respiration? Respiration, which is probably just still my favorite single hip hop track. Ever. Yeah, um, was uh, common with the live band before he had like blown up completely. I mean, that did was Gangstar open. Did Guru? Did Gangstar? Yeah, Guru. Open? It was like Guru, who, who people weren't thrilled about at the time. 
I remember his performance. He kept stopping. He was the typical, I'm sorry, typical of some rappers who are constantly stopping in, in mid, yeah. you know, verse and tell the crowd to get more hyped. And you're like, dude, be better and we'll get more hyped. Yeah. Uh, and Common never stopped once. They, he played for like an hour and a half and we were grooving so hard. We saw, we saw um, Medeski, Martin, and Wood a bunch of times. We saw Antibalas. Um, Antibalas ended up coming to campus. Ciro Baptista, yeah. the Roots came to campus. I mean, it was pretty amazing for being an isolated a Middletown, how many awesome shows we went to and, and came to us. And of course, you know, I was involved with the World Music Collective bringing cool acts to as well. Oh, um, uh, the RJD2 yeah, show? Yeah, that's my, uh. my crowning achievement, which I've never mentioned, I don't think, on a Bizzlecast, was bringing <laughs> RJD2 second semester uh, senior year to Wesleyan was, was pretty fucking awesome. Oh, I still have yeah. I yeah. still have that DV, that CD from that show. I think somewhere. Oh, no way. CD collection. No, I emailed out. I emailed out the digital file last year. I think to a bunch. Oh, a I'd bunch love of people. to. It's a fantastic yeah. show. Yeah. 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 I, I just, the just my, one of the things I like look back think so fondly on, and I agree with Dre. Just to be uh, clear, that um, I don't have any regrets of you know. I just we have met so many great people, so many great friendships, so many great memories. Um, I do regret kind of not taking advantage of some of the things the university had to offer in terms of um, what was happening in terms of, you know, money, you know, there's all these fellowships and scholarships you could apply for to like basically travel around the world and learn shit. Um, But I do think we, if I remember, like we just spent so much time chilling, listening to music, which you know, having just lost like one of my best friends uh, earlier this year to cancer, I don't think that there's really necessarily a better way to spend your time. Yeah. Like, being with your, you know, so when you think about it, like you could say, oh yeah, you, you know, what do you do in college? And we all did amazing things. We learned, we took classes, we all, you know, contributed to important things, but we also spent a lot of time just being, which, you know, I think is underrated in this society. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, we listened to, you know, fella like albums the whole way through, like Bob Marley albums the entire way through Reflection Eternal multiple times. Um, just like yep. listening to music, chilling with your friends, talking about life. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's priceless. Those memories to me are, are, are absolutely priceless. The amount of amazing music we saw, yep. uh, you know, times we stumbled into crowd music hall and. You know, which is actually like still the, the sound quality in there is amazing. I remember that. Um, yeah, Afro Cuban All Stars we Afro- saw there. Stars. I was just thinking that. Yeah. All yeah. that they were incredible. Um, yeah, just listening to music and we'd uh, our, you know appreciate music like the the music I listened to back then. It's just still still on my iPod. It's still like the best music. Yep. Really, yeah. you know, we bonded a lot of our music too for sure. You always I mean, had my, the best, the best yeah. collection of, you know, yeah. music of anyone. I think, you know, I, I, feel, I feel like I totally agree, Smile. I think music was a big part of my Wesleyan experience. And uh, it was a part of sort of, a, 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 it helped me feel more comfortable in my own skin. It helped me sort of become who I am today, I think, in that I, I just sort of, well, I was able to just, let go of, you know, my, my, a lot of my fears 
um, and just be, you know, and, and go out and, and, and you know, uh, uh, go out to, to parties and, and see bands and listen to music and, and dance. Like when I was in high school, I was terrified of dancing. I mean, I was... I was very really? self-conscious. Yeah, I was very what? self-conscious. I used to, I didn't really like to dance. You know, this was, it's interesting because I, growing up uh, half Cuban, half Swedish, I think my early childhood and, and, and uh, before I got to Wesleyan, I was more sort of in touch with my Swedish side. I was, uh, you know, quite shy. I didn't like to dance. Um, you know, I, and, and I didn't really have any contact or connection with my Latino side, with my Cuban side. Hmm. Um, besides the fact that I had this funny last name that nobody could pronounce, you know, and growing up in New Hampshire, you know, I just, I, there, it was not a very diverse place. And I was like just another white kid, but with a funny, you know, Latino last name. Um, and so getting to Wesleyan and, and just meeting so many different people, um, and hearing incredible music and, you know, maybe having a few beers, you know, loosened me up and brought those inhibitions, you know, uh, took away those inhibitions. But I just really felt felt like I could be myself. And I think you mentioned that also, Smiley or, or, or Bizzle, um, the, the, that it was a unique environment because of that. I think people felt really comfortable just being themselves, you know. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so that was that was one of my favorite things about Wesleyan, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't need to go into it. I mean, music became my profession for years after, mm. after school. Mm. And I, I did come, I came to, um, to Wesleyan knowing Ali Farkatore. I mean, not knowing him personally yet, I would meet him later. My God. But I, knowing him, knowing his music from my dad, I was getting into sort of Middle Eastern and African music, uh, African music from my time in Israel, which is like a t- super multicultural hub. Um, but then taking West African music, my first semester of freshman year just introduced me to, you know, I mean, Umu Sangare and Salif Keita and like, you know, all the amazing music from Mali and around Africa. And then of course, you know, me and Eric got a uh, post junior year during the summer, did an internship at Afropop Worldwide when those guys were from Wesleyan. So that's part of why we got that job, obviously. And then that led us to, you know, be start documenting African music in New York. And that eventually led to Modipo. So it's a, it's a long series of events that probably never would have been possible, at least in that way, without um, without Wesleyan. Um, now Smiley, you studied film at Wesleyan and went into the film industry for a little while afterwards. Um, you guys cool. Do you want to start transitioning of sort of our transition from, from school into the quote unquote real world? Right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we'll talk about some of the cultural stuff about what a rude awakening bring. it was. Yeah. Well, we tried to bring Wesley into the real world in a way, right? Through our apartment and through our experiences in New York those first couple of years. Um, so, uh, Dre, I want to hear from you, but just really quickly, smile. So you studied film at Wesleyan. Um, did you, I mean, before you came to Wesleyan or sort of early on before you decided on a major, did you, was going into film something that you, you was, was an aspiration of yours? I don't think so. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, I didn't, I was always, you know, mostly interested in, which is ironic is now what I'm doing. Well, not ironic. It makes sense now because it's what I'm spending a lot of my time doing is writing. I was more interested probably in English and, um, but I just, when I got to Wesleyan, the major just didn't excite me. Like the professors didn't seem that engaging. No one was really excited about the major, the the courses and the classes didn't seem that uh, interesting. Whereas the film major had this kind of aura around it, it had this legend and it was, you know, very, 
you know, respected and famous and, you know, it was hard to get into. And there was all of this kind of lore around the film industry, um, which, you know, for good reason, there's a lot of amazing famous people that went to Wesleyan that work in film. Um, I think that maybe I was attracted a little too much to the lore and kind of the cachet. Um, and that maybe if I could do it again, I would have doubled majored or, or something like that. Um, in film and sociology or English or history or something. But I, I did love the storytelling. I did love that people took it really seriously, that there were a lot of creative, engaging people that were really fired up about studying it. Um, so no, and I mean, you know, I don't think you, I, there are a lot of people that enter the film major that have wanted to work in film their whole life. That was not me. I was more just really excited about being around creative people and taking these classes and, uh, just kind of fell into it. Um, but you know, it, it's interesting now having, you know, I worked in film for a little bit in, in New York, um, and realized that the industry is just absolutely brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and you kind of have to like try something before you figure out whether it's the right fit. Cause I realized that that's not at all the right fit for me. Although my work very much involves storytelling. Um, so there is some, some connection there. Mm-hmm. but um and kind of how you see the world and put together a story and I'm, i think i did learn a lot of that from the film major mm-hmm. but the industry and working on film sets um which i did for two years that i don't think a lot of people end up doing it was a brutal experience i mean you guys remember those hours and that kind of you know stop and go gig you know works on these huge sets with the trucks and the lights mm-hmm. and the you know, going to New Jersey and, you know, all kinds of places. I think I've been to places in New York that people that have lived there their whole lives have never been to. I know about even. Yeah. I traverse the BQE and it's envy arms, you know, all five boroughs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I used to go around New York. I was talking about this with my parents uh, recently. I was a location scout. So I used to go around looking for these locations and then putting together the directions for people to get to set. I used to have a book of maps on me at all times. Can you imagine? Yep. There was MapQuest, I think, but there was people didn't have smartphones. Like, this is another era. I'm like, wow. Like, talk about a job that's obsolete. Like, the dude that puts together the directions for a film set. Right. Can you imagine? This was like yeah. when I graduated. That's what I did for a living. I mean, I yeah. did other, you know, like, that was one of the descriptions for my job was to find the locations for these movies. Yep. Yeah, they did. We definitely had Google Maps going back to college, maybe before, but they didn't have it on phones. I got a BlackBerry. They didn't in, have it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got a BlackBerry in 2007, but that's just because we were touring with Via and I needed to do emails on the road. I didn't really want one. Um, and of course, now I'm addicted to my iPhone and can't get anywhere without Google Maps. But at the time, yeah, you had to use real maps to just know where the fuck you were going. Um, it is interesting, Smiley, that I think. You know, one of the things that our sort of joint experiences from uh, uh, New York shows was that you were working in and trying to work in sort of niche indie film, and I was working and trying to work in niche indie music. And I think what it proved, uh, which maybe is obvious now, but wasn't at the time, is that it's a lot easier to work in niche indie music because it's just really, really expensive and fucking hard to make a film at any level. And, you know, we were, we were starting Modiba in the days where, you know, you could record high level music with a pretty small amount of equipment and studio time. And so, you know, our, our company still going today and is as successful as ever, although we've changed, you know, we used to do production. Now we do music management because it was super expensive. 
but I just remember, you know, your your experiences dealing with people in the indie film industry, uh, and you would think that they would be kind of different and like better than the people in the Hollywood industry, but that wasn't necessarily your experience. I mean, there was a lot of really screwed up individuals from what, what I recall, and I, I just never experienced that in the music side in New York. Um, I, I don't know if you have any comments about that. Yeah, I mean, I just think, you know, what I realized was that, you know, people there were not healthy or happy. Um, and that's not, you know, that's a, that's a generalization. There's obviously people in the indie film world that love their jobs and are, you know, thriving. But I met a lot of people that were 10, 15, 20 years in the game and chain smoking cigarettes and not seeing their families and working ridiculous hours and just seemed pretty miserable. And I was like, I don't want to do this. You know, I didn't see a lot of pathways to grow um, or kind of become, you know, get to a different level. And it, it just didn't really excite me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I'm glad that I transitioned into something else. Um, yeah. So and, just as a, yeah. just as a contrast, um, so as great as it was for us to be living together for those first two years in Brooklyn, it was a little difficult because Smiley and I working in kind of uh, parallel industries had somewhat similar schedules where we would be out either socializing or working super late and then we'd sleep in. Whereas Andreas, you had to get up super early to teach um, in, in Brooklyn public schools, which was brutal. So we would all try and hang out on weekends, but during the week it was, it was a little weird. Um, how did you, Andreas, I mean, you can talk about the specifics, but I, those first couple of years were pretty brutal as you had to get your master's and teach in these really, really difficult schools. Again, I, I know about this from you and also my sister who went through a similar thing in Philadelphia. Now she's in a better situation, still working in the public schools, but uh, sort of she gets to choose where. H- how did you make it through those first uh, couple of years in New York where you were trying to be a, a kid in his early 20s and socialize, but also like work was just I- extremely difficult for you? Yeah. Oh man, it was, it was hard. It was, it was brutal. Um, to be quite honest. Um, you know, I, I graduated from Wesleyan and, um, did a summer, uh, intensive sort of summer teacher training course. Um, and then, uh, as, as part of the New York city teaching fellows program, and then was, you know, this is, you know, a month or two months of a summer training and then was thrown directly into a classroom with zero teaching experience uh, as a full-time teacher and simultaneously taking, you know, uh, education classes a couple times a week, night classes or evening classes after a full day's work. And so, you know, it was, it was really hard. Um, It was really, really hard. I mean, you know, I wake up at five, six in the morning um, and we lived, you know, before we moved in together, I was living down, down in Sunset Park in Brooklyn. So I had to take, and I was working up in Bushwick. Um, and so I remember taking the end train into Manhattan, into Union Square, you know, uh, the height of morning rush hour, and then getting in the L train out, back out to Brooklyn. Um, you know, so it was a good 45 minute to an hour commute. Um, Plus dealing with Union Square at rush hour, which is brutal. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and so then, I, you know, I... I I, it was survival mode for me teaching, you know, I didn't know what I was doing every day was just trial and error. Um, you know, I was teaching Spanish. Uh, I had a bilingual license, um, transitional license. Uh, and I was teaching Spanish, um, at a, at a, at an elementary or it was an elementary and middle school in Bushwick. 
and I taught uh, pre-K through third grade. Um, so, you know, I didn't have my own class. I didn't have a homeroom with, you know, 20 to 30 kids that I could get to know and, and, and sort of figure out. I had all these other, all these classes coming through my classroom, um, you know, and their homeroom teacher would come and drop them off and then kind of say, good luck, you know, and they would charge my classroom. And, you know, the school didn't really have money or support to help me out. Um, the New York City Teaching Fellows assigned me a mentor, uh, came, you know, maybe uh, three times over the course of the year, you know, um, to see how I was doing and try to try it out any way possible. Um, so it was, you know, and, and, and it was, and, the, and the, you know, the kids that I was working, that I was working with, um, you know, were, a lot of them were coming from the projects across the street um, and, you know, had, had, were coming to school with a lot of issues, you know, witnessed domestic violence, drug abuse, gang violence, coming to school without proper meals, um, you know, and so there was just, there were a, a lot of behavior problems and a teacher who had zero experience, you know, trying to manage a class, um, and, and actually teach them something. It was a, it was, it was a, a, a enormous challenge. Um, and every day I remember walking up the stairs of the school saying, man, I'm going to quit tomorrow. I can't do this anymore. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I stuck with it. I, I figured out ways to, bribe the kids to, 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 you know, to, 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 you know, stay in their chairs and not start fights and not throw crayons across the room, you know, and, um, they, you know, by the end of the year, uh, they respected the fact that I stuck it out, you know, they, or I think were used to people quitting on them uh, and they were testing me to see if I would quit on them. Mm -hmm. Um, so as hard as that year was, uh, getting to the end and making it through the year. And then I transferred to a, another school uh, in, in down in Sunset Park, actually, where I was able to teach an authentic sort of bilingual, um, a dual language classroom, which is what I wanted to do in the first place. Um, you know, but I, making it through that first year the, 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 uh, was really rewarding, um, as hard as it was. And I think, yeah, to, to talk about a little bit about the balance, uh, of course, you know, we were living in New York City for the first time. A lot of our friends from college were there. So there was that temptation, you know, any given night, right, where people working office jobs or, or, or working gigs where they could go out during the week would say, hey, we're going to happy, you know, we're going to Wednesday night, we're going out to see the show. And man, you know, I would sometimes I'd go with and then I'd, you know, be out till three in the morning and have to get up three hours later to go, you know, teach, you know, second graders Spanish. Mm. Uh, wow. It was physically and emotionally draining, um, you know, so, hey. Best of times and the worst of times. I mean, yep. uh, I, I, you know, it was, it was amazing to be in New York City at that time in my life. But um, I, in one way, and you know, I had one foot in the real world and one foot still, you know, in, in the Wesleyan world, I think, in the college lifestyle. And that was kind of hard on my body. Um, so yeah. was, you're living in a fantasy land. yeah i mean mean, really you had a real i mean it was always interesting i mean because yeah the 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 contrast of our lifestyles couldn't be more different i remember sometimes i'd be coming home from set you know at like five six in the morning or something ridiculous because from a night shoot and you'd be waking up Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and um 
you know, yep. Bizzle was out all night going to shows and promoting and going mm-hmm. to your artists or going to, you know, via shows or whatever. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it was, uh, you know, quite the time to be living in a, a one bedroom apartment that we converted into a three bedroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the second yeah, incarnation yeah. of the red planet. Yeah. Um, which yeah. was a great place. I mean, that place, let's be honest, treated us well. It was affordable given, you know, for, for Brooklyn at the time. Um, for us, I'm, uh, I mean, we were all paying, you know, what, 700 or less, what were we paying? 600, you know, something like that, which yep, pretty good. Um, even for 2005, um, well, we just wanted location. That was like our biggest thing, you know, um, I think this will be a good time to break it up. There's some hilarious stories about how we ended up at this place. I'll, I'll work it backwards. You guys, I, Smiley, maybe you can tell the story about when we started looking for a place in Brooklyn. Um, but I remember after uh, we had struck out various reasons, various other places, you two had seen what would become the next incarnation of the Red Planet at 5th and 5th in Park Slope um, with <laughs> our, our lovely landlord, landlady, Marcelli. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, and you guys... I'll never forget. You're like, Bizzle, this place is so perfect. You're going to love it. It's amazing. The location's awesome. The place is... And you kept talking about the living room. You're like, the living room is spectacular. This place is so great. And I walked in, and I'm like, are you guys fucking kidding? Like, this, this, you, this is barely a one-bedroom. Like, where's Andreas going to sleep? You know, with, like, where's Smiley going to sleep? And I, and I was like, I'm happy to pay more money to sleep in the one actual bedroom that's here, but Really? <laughs> and you guys were convinced that it was going to be great. We ended up being there not one, but two years. And we added a cat in the second year. Oh, uh, my boss. Oh, Roy boss. Who's doing great, by the way? Oh, man. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, the backstory there, if we were Zoom back six months before. Yep. Um, right, at, right after school. I mean, not right after, but let's say fall. We graduated in May. Yeah, it wasn't six uh, months because I was gone. It was September that... The story you're about to tell happened in September, and then a month or two okay, after. Okay, so September yeah, 2005, yeah. we graduated yep. in May. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, very spent the summers. I, I assume I was at my parents' house, yep. you know, figuring things out. You know, being like, all right, well, you got to live your life, get your shit together, get a job. You know, so where are you going to go? Some people are moving to San Francisco, New York, different places, getting jobs, fellowships. Some people are staying at home. Um, so we're like, all right, we're going to, we're going to, uh, we make the decision. Brooklyn seems like the place to be. A lot of people are moving to Brooklyn. Um, you know, Dre, you were doing New York city teaching fellows. So you needed to be there. So like, okay, cool. We'll meet this weekend. Uh, and we'll do some apartment searches in Brooklyn and, you know, Bizzle, you did the kind of heavy lift on Craigslist, looking at a couple places, lining up a couple interviews. So we all get into New York. Uh, oh, Dre, you were already there. So Biz when I get a place in Sunset Park at the time, yeah, yeah, Sunset yeah with, the, with the cockroaches. I remember that place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there were, I there that amazing there taco were... spot, Sunset Park. Um, oh, it was unbelievable! I was living in Little Mexico there. You know, it was fantastic. Um, but there, you know, yeah. Then again, there were cockroaches, and you know, come into the kitchen, there'd be uh, mice rigor mortis. You know, on the kitchen floor. You know, yeah. I had to get out of there. So. Yeah, so we're going to go check out all these places and we come in on Friday night and we had quite the night because it was a reunion and we saw some friends and, you know, we were still living in a fantasy land of <laughs> college exploits. Um, 
so Bizzle's like, all right, well, no matter what, we meet at, you know, 10 a.m. at this, this, you know, right outside this subway stop in Brooklyn. I think the first place was Crown Heights or Yeah, it was, all, it was all around, like, Crown Heights, Bed-Stuy, what would later become Prospect Heights, like, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting now because now those neighborhoods are completely unaffordable and fancy yeah. and gentrified, and at the time they were kind of um, still not a lot of white people living there. Um, and unfortunately for a lot of people, the white people have taken over those neighborhoods and made them completely unaffordable for the people that have lived there forever. But, um, so we were looking at this, we were supposed to meet at this place and I remember, I never forget this. So, you know, Dre and I both got home very late. Um, thankfully for New York city taxi cabs. Um, and I'll never forget waking up to 17 missed calls from the Bizzle. 17 <laughs> missed calls. <laughs> Literally 17. Where are you guys? You <laughs> drew me again. <laughs> so by the time I think I woke up at 10 or 11, I had missed, if we had missed at least two of the interviews. <laughs> two? You missed like six? Are you kidding me? Two or three. I missed the first one. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we meet up Smiley shows up somewhere. I show up with one lens in my glasses. <laughs> Which wasn't the first time that's happened, by the way. It's not the first time, but, but yeah. We, you know, you, you, you were like a child who wanders into a conversation. <laughs> to be honest with you, we were children. You know, at we least I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was trying to keep this job teaching, you know, then uh, we were looking for apartments and I had no concept of what was, I had no real world skills. So I had no concept of what was needed to rent an apartment, like how much money you actually needed. I didn't know about a down payment, first and last months, to, to, you know, uh, deposit, you know, and so I remember we we saw this one place. Finally, we all like saw a place together. Once I arrived, once Smiley arrived, and it was a great place. And we said, "This place looks pretty good. Let's do it. Let's see if we can get this place." And so, the, you know, the real estate or the realtor comes out. And he's like, "All right, what do you guys think?" We're like, "Yeah, we like it. Like, what? What? How much is it going to be?" You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know what he says? Like, I don't know what uh, twenty five hundred dollars or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, no, it's like probably it was like six or because it was first month, last month and security deposits, probably like six, seven, eight thousand yeah. dollars between yep. the three of us. Yeah. yeah, right. And we look at each other <laughs> and we look at each other and I say, smiley, man, I'm not that kind of cash. I think I have 200 bucks in my bank account right now. I don't have that kind of cash. You do. <laughs> Bizzle, Bizzle, you, you look at us and you're like, oh, you just shake your head. I remember you just shook your head and you're like, what were you guys thinking? <laughs> I like, yeah, what do you think? You're just going to roll into an apartment and be like, all right, here's 600 bucks for the first month. We got it. And like, yeah, right. He's like, how did you guys think we we're going to get a place? We're like, well, I guess we hadn't thought of that. <laughs> it was yeah. like, it was the classic awakening to like the real world of like yep. being an adult and being like, oh my God, like, yeah. Yep. This is what it takes. Like, this is how much money it costs. It was hard. And then we all went home, you know, with our tails <laughs> between our legs. Like, I went back to my Sunset Park apartment, and you guys all went back to my parents' house. Oh, yeah. Bizzle went back to Philly, and we had to regroup. Yeah. <laughs> it takes, 
It took, I thought uh, it might be dead. I thought we, it wasn't going to happen, honestly. I was looking at alternatives. I, was, I almost, do you remember? I almost got a place in Philly. I was like, I had a deposit down on a place on South Street in oh, Philly after that. that. I don't remember and I, that. And, and I called, and you guys called, and you're like, Bizzle, don't do it. Just, just give us a little bit more time. And I'd like yeah. beg the guy not to, to cash the security deposit. But I, I don't remember how it actually vocalized during that moment that you just t- described. But yeah. what was going on in my head was, okay, let me get this straight. I just spent hours researching and visiting these places by myself. You don't even show up. And then we finally find a spot. And you're amazed at how expensive it is to live in New York City? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> but, 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 but to be fair, we were constantly picking one another up as time went along. Like, it wasn't like, you know, I, I was always like the mother or whatever. Like, we, we all had our down moments, you know, there. And, and luckily, it seemed like no, there, were, there weren't that many times where all three of us lost our brains at the same time. Right, it seemed like there was always one of us at least who had our head on straight to keep yeah. things kind of going uh, and get us through those first two years. Three was a magic number, you know. I think that was a yes. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, mm-hmm. two would have been yeah would have been really crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after we lived together for two years, so we we, we slowly got driven out of New York. Um, cool. Smiley was the first to go after yeah, two have, brut- brutal years in the bottom. film industry. I stayed, yeah. and I'm smiling. I want to get back to what, what happened to you after. I, I made it one more year. I moved into myself I with Roybus. I love that place. On it Eastern was a great Park, apartment, but I was just miserable, and I wasn't having a good time with, without you guys there. Even though I had friends in the city, I just was shut in, and I just New York was driving me absolutely crazy. I ended up having to moving back home and live with my parents for a while, and then I, you know, got a place in, in Philly where I still live now, and went to Temple University, got my master's, and now uh, work for a tutoring company and do a lot of tutoring and other kinds of educational stuff um uh so uh andres uh and then smiley well uh i want we've talked about this on the podcast before but we can talk a little bit about what you were up to once you left new york uh andreas so how did you continue your sort of teaching adventure um which led you overseas and then back to the states where you're still a teacher yeah um yeah so you know, I as I mentioned that that after that first year um I I I, I was able to get a job at a school in Sunset Park. Um, so I continued teaching in, in, in public schools in New York, um, but uh, as a dual language teacher. Um, and so the neighborhood that I was teaching in in Sunset Park was uh, primarily a, an immigrant neighborhood. Uh, there were a lot of Mexican families um, and Puerto Rican, Dominican uh, uh, families. Um, and so I was teaching core subject areas in Spanish, um, which was really, really cool. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I had a much better experience uh, at that school uh, than, than the school up in Bushwick. Um, Who are you living you know, with, I by the felt way? like it was very different. You know, the Bushwick, Bushwick uh, kids were, there were a lot of Puerto Rican kids at that school as well. Um, but they, you know, were coming from families that had been in the States for a long time. Um, and I think we're pretty, uh, had been beaten down by the system. Uh, and, and the, the families in Sunset Park were more recent immigrants and still had the idea the American dream as a, as a, as an attainable possibility, you know, they weren't as, they, so they, they, they really, you know, respected the educational system and they respected the schools and the kids were, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, just better behaved in general, I think because of that. Um, and, you know, um, 
I think I learned to manage um, my personal life with my my work life a little bit better. Um, but that was, you know, and so I really enjoyed that teaching experience. Um, you know, but at the same time, I, I was still, I was still, you know, uh, living in New York and a, for the frenetic lifestyle of New York City, um, and you know, definitely still going out and and uh, going to bars and, and having a good time while working, um, while teaching, and, and burning the candle at both ends like that really just wore me down. So after, let's see, it was my fourth year uh, teaching in the New York City public school system. Uh, my body just, just just quit on me. You know, I got a virus. Uh, I thought it went away, but it came back. And then I, I just essentially was had sort of chronic fatigue for months and had to take a leave from school. Um, and that was like a wake up call for me. You know, that was a, a sort of a man, you're, you're stressed out from work. You're not taking care of yourself. You're not sleeping. You're not eating well. Um, and so I had to just sort of go home to Boston, regroup. Uh, fortunately I was, you know, uh, at a public school, so I had good benefits and, and it was part of a union and I got a, a, you know, paid leave. Um, and then was able to come back and finish out the school year. Um, but after that, you know, I, I needed a break. And so I needed a, like my, my, one of my dreams after one, one of my ideas, uh, senior year in college was to, uh, you know, go live in Barcelona and teach abroad. Uh, and I went, you know, I went the public school route um, instead, but, you know, I always had that in the back of my mind. So, you know, after that fourth year of teaching, I, I just decided to, to do it. You know, I needed a more, more of a non-stress lifestyle. Um, and so I moved to Barcelona and I got a job at an international school. Um, and uh, I, I lived a good life in Barcelona for, for three years, you know, uh, Mediterranean lifestyle, much less stress. Um you know, I was still going out and having a good time because it was Spain and it was Barcelona and, you know, it was it was a lively cosmopolitan city and there's lots going on. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, somebody visited me there. and A uh, couple times. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was an incredible time in my life. Um, you know, I, 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 uh, I, I really enjoyed, you know, speaking Spanish most of the time and learning Catalan uh, and spending time with friends sort of, you know, in the parks playing music and seeing, you know, playing soccer, uh, and, and, and watching FC Barcelona and Leo Messi, you know, Leo Messi, uh, play, uh, in, in, in the flesh, you know, it was, it was an incredible time. Um, and, you know, I enjoyed, I continued teaching. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, after that first year at an international school in Barcelona, I taught, at a language academy, uh, just teaching English, you know? Um, and I had this little moped that I drive around on and I'd go to class and I'd come and, you know, I'd go to my 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. class. And then I'd go and have like a two or three hour lunch break, you know, with, with wine and in a plaza, you know, and, 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 uh, and then, then I'd go back and drive my moped to my, you know, afternoon classes, you know, and, it was an easy, it was, it was a very different from New York city and exactly what I needed. Um, yeah. you know, so that was a beautiful time, but I, I was missing my sort of my roots. I started to, I, I got too far from my roots, you know, which was growing up in New Hampshire, you know, being connected to nature, being close to family and friends. And so after a few years in Barcelona, I just I had a craving, you know, an urge to kind of reconnect with, with, with those roots. And so, uh, came back, stateside after a few years and uh mm -hmm. 
I've been teaching at private schools since then, um, which is interesting because I started my career teaching in public schools, and I, I never thought I'd end up at, at a private school. Um, and I have sort of the dilemma of, you know, selling out in a way and going the easy route. And, you know, it's easy to think, it's easy to, 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 to doubt whether you're making any real difference when you're teaching privileged kids for the most part, um, you know, um, and, and it's easy to say, oh, the kids in New York really needed me, but these, you know, these rich kids really, you know, don't, you know, they've got it made. But kids are kids, you know, kids, including kids that are from privileged families have very real issues. And, um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's valuable to sort of within the system kind of uh, teach these kids to be positive leaders and, mm-hmm. um, and, and, uh, you know, be, be conscientious and, and compassionate citizens. And, you know, um, that's sort of a big focus of what we do at my current school is character education. Um, so, you know, that, I could go on, but, but that's kind of a... Yeah, a, a, no, if I yeah. just can, um, if I just can respond to that really quickly. Um, yeah, Andreas, I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth. Um, you know, with great privilege comes great responsibility, right? And so if you can help those people become socially conscious as well as educating them and make them leaders for the future, I mean, part of the problem is we have too many tone-deaf uh, uh, rich people in this country. One of them's running the country right now, uh, straight into the ground, right? And so I, I think you can have a bigger impact, especially if, you know, it, it, first of all, you put in your dues. Second of all, if you're miserable, nobody's getting helped, right? Yeah. I mean, or, or, or it's not ideal. And who's to say that there's not, you know, other new challenges or, around the corner? So I think it's awesome. You've had public school, you've had private school, you've had abroad, you've had different situations. I think that's amazing. And that just opens up more doors for you in the future, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I feel very so, fortunate, uh, in, indeed. Mm. Yeah. Um, and uh, Andres has an amazing uh, wife, Manuela, and they're expecting a boy in a month, uh, as we said at the beginning, which we're all very excited about. Um, I hope she's she doing well. Everyone healthy and happy? We're healthy and happy. Absolutely. Awesome. You know, she's ready to not be pregnant. But uh, <laughs> do you want to um, just give a quick share the quick story about how you guys met? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's at, awesome. Yeah. At that time, I was actually teaching at a boarding school up in North Andover, Mass. Um, and you know, the, the boarding school life is 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 sort of twenty four seven. If you work full time at a boarding school, you teach, you coach, and you're also a dorm parent. Uh, so I had very little free time. Um, but at my one, our, our our good friend Kevin Haas, another Wesleyan graduate, was living in Boston at the time, and you know, I would come down to Boston and and and. Um, hang out with him as often as I could. Uh, and there was this one night where he, you know, he called and said, Hey, I'm going to the, you know, I'm going to this show, uh, in Cambridge, uh, you know, a musician named Patrick Watson, you know, at this new, at this new, uh, uh venue called the Sinclair in Harvard square. Uh, you should come, you know, and I was up in North Andover. It was, I think it was March. So it was cold. And I said, Oh, I don't want to drive down. I'm tired. You know, I don't know, man. And, and he convinced me and I'm forever grateful you know, uh, 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 the fact come down because, uh, as soon as we came into the venue, you know, I, I, I saw, I saw Manuela and, 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 you know, we made eyes and, you know, we just felt this connection and started talking in Spanish right away. Manuela's, uh, Colombian, her mom's, uh, from Colombia and, um, and then, uh, enjoyed the show and, and that, and that was it. I mean, it was, 
It was it was funny because this was a time when I had a flip phone. You know, it was 2013. I still had a flip phone. I just gotten back from Spain, and uh, so you know there were some text messages that went lost, and I we almost you know didn't make the connection after that show, but we managed to stay in touch and and um, and uh, that you know we're we're, we're I'm, I'm so happy and so grateful. Yeah, and for those of you, it's funny how things come around. So Patrick Watson's first major uh, single was with the Cinematic Orchestra about 10 or so years ago called To Build a Home. And you guys have all heard the song in like movie trailers and stuff like that. It's constantly being used on soundtracks. It's a very touching, sort of bittersweet song. Uh, well, it's not even bittersweet. It's just it's just like a, an emotional like love song almost, but it's not cheesy. And he's he's a great great artist. Uh, so that's sort of like the perfect kind of gu- uh, right sort of show to meet someone like that. It's very romantic. I would have to um, have to imagine. Um, and, uh, you know, thank God for, for you and for all of us. Um, so, so that's awesome. So I, I have a, I have a fun thing to end on, um, uh, as we head towards the close. I do want to say though, not to get too sentimental, that there was a lot of friends throughout my life and even at Wesleyan where I, I was at points not sure if that friendship was going to persist or not, but for whatever reason, I never doubted that we would still be friends many, many years later. Um, and you know, some friends like, um, Adam Tuck and Dave all, I sort of lost touch with for a few years and now I'm, you know, buddies with again and in touch with, but we've always been in touch, which is impressive because I've had a couple really brutal t- periods since college of dealing with shit. And you guys have always been there for me. And it's, it's been the perfect balance f- from your end of, you know, checking in on me and trying to get me reengaged, but not like being overbearing or whatever. Um, and I just really appreciate that. I mean, you guys know that, but, um, you know, some of my most fun times are our trips to San Francisco together and Andreas's wedding. We always joke about how, even though we have a lot of the same friends, we've never actually all three been to the same weddings just for various reasons. And Andreas was with the first, was the first and it was spectacular. Uh, hopefully, uh, more in the future. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just want to say that, um, I- I'm shocked that I have a podcast that's going into its third year, but I'm not shocked that, that I'm, I'm still in touch with you boys, uh, after all this time. And, uh, we had a really tight group of friends at Wesleyan, um, and, and, and a lot of them are still a part of our lives. Uh, do you sort of look back on, on that? And I, I mean, I'm sure you guys are both thankful and Smiley, you want to, you want to talk about that a little bit about our, our extended group of friends and how amazing it's been despite all of our ups and downs together? Yeah. I mean, I think like, I think looking back, you know, that's my, the thing I most got from Wesleyan, um, was real friends. Um, and when you're 33, 34, you can actually start to look back and know who your actual friends are versus just, you know, acquaintances or kind of friends or people, you know, but the people that are really there for you and the people that have been a part of your life and, Mm -hmm. uh, that you've had real shared experiences with. Um, there's nothing more important. So I'm so grateful to, you know, our crew. We just have such an amazing crew of, of people that are, um, truly amazing friends and companions and travel buddies and, you know, have been there for all this stuff. So Mm -hmm. yeah, we have a, we're, we're really blessed. 
Yeah, yeah Andreas, I, I, I want to throw it to you, Andreas, in one sec. I just want to comment, though, something I noticed at your wedding in particular, which is <laughs> a lot of people have the experience that their friends from the past, even their college friends, as people get married and move around the country and stuff, tend to lose touch as you focus in on wife or husband or, or kids or, you know, your, your, your direct environment, you know, your immediate mm-hmm. environment. But it, in some ways, I think our friends have gotten closer over the years. Like, mm-hmm. it's almost like having the responsibilities of finally, like, embracing adulthood, you know, and putting together our adult lives. It, it, I don't know. Like, there was a feeling at your wedding, you know, with all of the married couples there and the kids I, I, you know, as someone who's not married and doesn't have kids, I, I didn't feel alienated. I felt the opposite. I felt like everyone was very relaxed and open with each other. Even though we've all been pretty honest to one another over the years, I feel like any remaining bullshit that's sort of been in the way of relationships has, has just dissipated. Um, that's sort of my experience and made me really, really happy. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Absolutely. And I think that one of the reasons that we've been able to sort of you know, stay so close um, through the years is that you know the, the fact that we met and, and spent those that those first that first those first moments together and the first years together in such formative years. You know, and we were just experiencing and experimenting and vulnerable a lot. You know, I think that that's also part of it. I think that in order to have a real genuine connection. You know, you have to put yourself out there and be yourself and, and, and be vulnerable with your, 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 your tribe, you know, with your community, with your friends. And I think if more people sort of just put down the shield and, and were more vulnerable with each other, that we would have better connections. And I think that's why we have such good connections. You know, does that uh, reverberate with you guys? Yes, definitely. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's pretty amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, I just want to tease this. We sort of wanted to do a whole podcast on this. Maybe we'll tease this for, for down the road, which is we have a philosophical concept within our group around the word heady. Um, and our good friend, Kevin, AKA Hedy Haas, um, very much part of the Ruby crew as well. Shout out to K Haas. I got to get him on one of these days. Um, is this notion of headiness. Now, heady from the dictionary usually has to do with um, intellectual, right? Like a heady concept, a heady idea is, is sort of a deep, sometimes complex or profound kind of, kind of thought or idea. But for us, it, it has come to mean a whole variety of things and really has become a, a big part of our lingo, now, in addition to Seinfeld, The Big Lebowski has been the other sort of major pop culture thing that, in some ways, I think Big Lebowski has been more important overall with our extended friends, because we do have some extended friends that aren't into Seinfeld as much as we are, but everyone loves Lebowski and can quote it. And the dude is definitely like the epitome in some ways of, at least when the dude's on his game, the epitome of what we consider heady. Um, Andreas, do you remember when that whole thing started, wh- where it just became a catch-all term for like trippy slash cool slash interesting stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think I think that it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it started when you know we were all living together at 84 High Street, and we lived with Kevin, and um, uh, uh, you know, I don't know what like uh, you know uh, six other guys, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there, were, there were two girls that didn't talk to anybody and then a bunch of dudes. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, it was a, uh, you know, it was. <laughs> it, it's Sandra from the Biennale. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, let me give a train of thought back here. Um, so we're at, we're at 84 high. We had we had heady snacks. Was that the first? Heady. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I think I think I, honestly, I, we got you have to have you know Hedy Haas, Kevin Haas on the show it's to true. talk about Hedy more in depth. But I think he was a, a guru. You know, he spearheaded the term and, and the lifestyle. I mean, I think, you know, this is Kevin Haas, you know, is, is this amazing dude um, who was always sort of pushing the boundaries of, uh, you know, uh, listening to music, uh, you know, what, what, you know, uh, healthy living and healthy, healthy eating, uh, which was new to me at the time uh, as a college kid, I certainly wasn't taking good care of myself, but here was Kevin you know, who started the first ever wheatgrass co-op yep. in our living room, you yep. know, at, at, at 84 High Street at Wesleyan. Um, and, you know, there were trays of wheatgrass on the windowsills uh, and people were juicing wheatgrass. And, um, you know, uh, I think I don't know if uh, consuming um, cannabis had anything to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> It did. Cannabis indica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of green, you know. Whether it be there was grass. a lot of green. Yeah. So yeah. and uh, he was he was. Do you remember he was Captain Wheatgrass at the um, at the MMW Halloween show? Halloween party. I remember hearing that. Uh, one yeah. close mutual friend of ours, who I won't mention, was given some consumables that he didn't know what they were from Kevin Haas. And totally freaked out. And Kevin has this amazing ability to really put anything in his body and make it turn out positive to be a positive experience. Yes, it's true. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. he eats super oh. healthy. He, he got me into yoga. He got me into wheatgrass. Like, I probably don't know if I would have discovered, especially yoga was all Kevin Haas for me. Yeah. So here we are in this, like, lab, like this, this lifestyle of excess, you know. It's a frat house, let's be college. honest. Was, yeah. And Kevin, Kevin kind of kept us grounded, you know. Yes. Like he did that, I think, to, for a lot of us. Um, and the term heady was, you know, revolved around wheatgrass and, 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 and eating, eating delicious foods. Um, and then, of course, the, the headiness of, you know, cannabis, of course, was also part of it. But, uh, you know, I think also David Wilson, uh, shout out to David Wilson, uh, yes. who uh, played for this incredible band at Wesleyan, uh, Stop Play Tectonics. I saw da- David Wilson spin last night in Oakland. Oh, no way. No yeah, way. with Hedy and Seb. Yeah, and, yeah, and DJ, really quickly. He's no longer going yeah. by DJ Awesome Party, by the way, unfortunately. Uh, but he really was still quickly, awesome, man. He played he, Mascasolina. Yeah. Kevin Haas. Anyway, he always rocks it. Yeah, Kevin Haas from Dave Wilson. Dave Wilson gave Kevin Haas to give me my first fellow album ever. Those two guys. So there you go. So Dave Wilson created the scale that he did with his arm. You know, it was like an arm movement that was. Ah, uh, yes. The pin, was the, the 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 needle was pointing straight up, ninety degrees, and then it would start to, you know, uh, the scale would start to 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 open up and and, and grow and grow and grow until the the heady scale broke. <laughs> You know, and so whatever we were eating at the time, you know, the heady scale kind of uh, was a barometer of how heady it was. You know, how heady was the music, how heady was the food, you know, uh, and uh, yeah, it became, it morphed and became this, this state of mind and this way of life. And uh, I think you should have Kevin Haas on the show and talk about I it. Well, 
And then you, you don't think Kevin could get any headier. And then you meet his older brother, Brian. Oh, yeah. Who like, is one of the, the great... Guru. The guru. One of the great... Um, organ and piano uh and keyboard and melodic up players experimental jazz guy many years with Ever. jacob fred jazz odyssey now he just goes by brian haas i think um and has put, put on some of the best shows that we've ever seen but he is so heady it's unbelievable and you can kind of see where the genes come from which is really interesting because those guys come from um well, well their well their parents are super cool they come from a very conservative community um in oklahoma um, and in some ways, I think Kevin uh, represents, and headiness represents the best of what Wesleyan had to offer because, you know, Kevin's uniqueness was totally just that. It was unique to him. It wasn't some trend, you know. It wasn't like, it wasn't some a group of people doing this or listening to this m- music or acting that way. That certainly happened at Wesleyan, but I, I feel like we were able to maintain this big friend group and share sort of our own culture without uh, any like real conformity being forced onto it. I don't know if that makes sense. It's very liberating. Yeah. And so I'll have to have Kevin on and we'll, we'll talk more about the roots of headiness. Okay, so we need to wrap up here. However, it would not be a Bizzlecast, and this is a tradition, and I have to do it at least for a couple minutes, to talk about pop culture. Because Bizzlecast is a pop culture podcast, but I, as you guys know, I've worked really hard to expand the bounds of what's within pop culture, but also to be very sort of critical or have a critical eye towards uh, the mainstream uh, things that are in pop culture. Um, a lot of talking about like women's issues and lack of representation of women and people of color and, and the various properties that I talk about. Um, so uh, I'll start with you, Dre. I know you guys don't have a lot of time to go see the movies a lot, but you probably have Netflix and stuff like that. Andres, anything, any movies or TV shows or Netflixy stuff you've seen in, in the recent past that uh, you thought was particularly cool that people should check out if they haven't? Yeah. Um... Definitely. I, mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind, actually, uh, was the most recent film we saw, uh, Beauty and the Beast. Oh, I loved it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm a huge Emma Watson fan. Uh, yep. Manuela. Um, we love, you know, obviously the, her acting and, and um, uh, her ability you know, on screen uh, to portray, portray incredible, incredible characters. But, you know, her work... Um, uh, her work for for women's rights and uh, yes. um, his his for her the his for her uh, is it his for her campaign? Um, uh, that that sounds right. But yeah, she was a huge activist. Yeah, which promotes you know uh, getting man, boys and men involved and and, and get um, in uh, being allies uh, for uh, women's rights. Yep. Um, anyway, I thought she put an interesting spin uh, on the traditional Beauty and the Beast uh, story. Um, you know, it's kind of a women's lib uh, spin um, as a, you know, provincial girl growing up in a small town, um, you know, uh, instead of just dreaming, dreaming about, you know, marrying a prince and, and uh, moving to the, the palace or the big city, she, she is drawn to literature and yep. teaching girls to read and inventing, you know, and building, uh, you know, spoiler alert. Um, uh, but, uh, a little bit here, um, but, um, sort of the, the movie delves into that at the beginning, um, especially, and I thought that was, uh, pretty cool to see. And she, and she ends up falling, when she starts falling for the beast, it's because of his book collection that he bequeaths on her. Um, That's right. 
it's not it's so his much brains. Of, yeah. It's not so much the sort of Stockholm syndrome that the original, yes. you know, falling in love with one's captor idea is more sort of uh, it's more heady. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, no, I you, did a. I did a, a 10 minute Bizzlecast quickie on it. I don't know if you guys have checked it out. I did my uh, Bizzlecast Beauty of the Beast review, but I talk exactly what you just said, Andreas, um, about women's lip. And if you think about it, she has the most agency in the movie, and she, they really reduce the amount of damsel and distress stuff. You know, she chooses to go back with the beast. He's ready to let her go, and she chooses to go back, you know? Um, I also thought Luke Evans' portrayal, disturbing portrayal of Gaston was really interesting look at hypermasculinity mm-hmm. um, that very much reverberates today. I mean, it, yes, that's in the original Gaston character, but the sort of PTSD and self-obsession and all this stuff going on with him, I thought was really, really cool and interesting. So I'm glad you saw that and loved it. I love Emma Watson. I'm about to release um, the third Harry Potter movie, the one that Alfonso Cuaron did, um, Prisoner of Azkaban, is one of my favorite movies, even though I'm not a big Harry Potter guy. So I rewatched it and did a commentary the other right. day because um, I've been watching a lot of Emma Watson stuff and she's so amazing as a 13 year old. I mean Radcliffe is too, but she's fantastic. Uh, she's so talented. She's only 26. So I'm yeah, cool, nice one. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, Smiley. Any any movies or uh, or TV shows? Well, I just um, actually got into The People versus OJ Simpson. Oh yes, my sister just watched that. Said it was very which good, is yeah. a Netflix. Uh, well, it was that, on it Netflix. Was I was an FX show, correct? Yeah. So there was two major big OJ re, you know, re- reissues recently in the last couple of years. One was the ESPN 30 for 30, OJ Simpson Made in America, or OJ Made in America, yep. which is supposed to be incredible. That's the yes. documentary. This is like a reenactment um, with an incredible cast, 10 episodes. Kelly McFarling has, actually got me hooked on it. She was telling me about it. Her and Andrew, her husband, were watching it. Um, and it's just amazing. Cuba Gooding Jr. plays OJ. John Travolta uh, is one of the attorneys. Rob, um, David Schwimmer from Friends, you know, mm. plays uh, Robert Kardashian, who is, mm. you know, one of OJ's best friends, you know, the father of the Kardashians or Kim Kardashian, which is like crazy that that all yeah. comes back. Um, anyways, it's just like, you know, you, you, it's just like that classic, like, binge watching tv it's a great little show uh you just like don't realize how crazy of a time that was mm. um we were you know in element i think it was seventh eighth grade eighth grade it kind of you forgot that like how big of a thing it was uh and all the race stuff and it was just it it, it was like literally a, a story that took over america um and then you're watching this being like oh my god how did he not get convicted it's incredible mm. um but yeah, so that was a, it was in a, I, I love watching that. I love a show that just gets me in it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my dad watched the ESPN thing first and then he was just like, I know the other show's great, but I just got the documentary version of it. So I'm not going to watch it again, but I have heard that both are excellent. I haven't had both a chance are excellent. to check it out. I want to, I've heard the documentary is like yeah. beyond excellent, like mm-hmm. so well done. So that's on next time. I, I wish I had done it the other way around, but I got hooked. Yeah, uh, I was in a Las Vegas hotel room and I <laughs> just got hooked on watching it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. anyways, but that's on my list. I really want to watch. Uh, listen to S Town. Have you heard this podcast? It's supposed to be incredible. No. It's by the folks that did Serial. Okay. Mm. Um, and it's supposed to be really, really good about this uh, town in Alabama and kind of like one of those like you can't stop listening to it. Um, so that's next on my list. Awesome. S-Town. 
This American oh. Life and Serial, the, the the folks that make that. Mm. Oh, oh, sorry. I was asking if you had, if you had anything else you wanted to uh, to, to spread to the listeners because you guys know what I like. I mean, you too, but also you listeners know what I like because that's my podcast. So you've seen, I know all the move. I, I think it's been a great, great year so far for big blockbuster movies. Logan was amazing. John Wick two, very good. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, really, really good. The Lego Batman movie is so funny and really just parodies all the crappy Batman and Superman stuff the last couple of years. It's hysterical um, where uh, uh, Michael Sarah voicing Robin and uh, Rosario Dawson, who Smiley met recently, voicing uh, Batgirl, <laughs> who's Barbara Gordon, the son of, uh, of Jim Gordon, by Batgirl. Um, and I just think, yeah, it's, it's been a very solid um, movie year so far. Um, the one I haven't seen that I know I'm the one guy that hasn't seen is Get Out, which everyone says is spectacular. I loved it. Yeah, but I thought it was so well done. Either. Yeah, so uh, um, I haven't seen Ghost in the Shell yet, Bizzle. That's on my list. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really pursued it online because that was a movie that got judged by people before it even was released, and that's fine. I understand people's concerns. I think it was a really, really good movie, like even more than I thought. It was an excellent film, but I just, it's just not worth the fight. You know, I got to pick my battles <laughs> as the bizzle, um, and uh, I'll defend things I think are good, and I, even when it, people say things are offensive and I think are misguided, but in this case, it just wasn't worth it. That being said, Smiley, in terms of an artistic experience, I think you'll, you'll love it. My dad was floored. I mean, he's not into that stuff at all. I mean, he loves Scarlet, but he's not into like crazy dark sci-fi Blade Runner anime. He yeah. really dislikes that stuff, and he was completely floored by it. So I think from a filmic perspective, it's, it's worth your time to see uh, for sure. Um, you, you guys excited about the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie? It looks pretty good. I love the first one. Yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Have to live out? up with sequels. Yeah. So I, I just like like to add that uh, uh, that um, in, in, I've found some real we've found some real nice sort of light entertainment uh, from <laughs> from the BBC. You oh, know, yes. I mean, American pop culture is so focused on these dystopian, uh, post-apocalyptic, yes, you know, uh, scenarios, mm-hmm. and there's some great, just really feel good, like just nice, nice stuff out there. Like, you know, the great, the great British baking show or call the midwife or Sherlock Holmes with Benedict Cumberbatch, you know, Hey man, I didn't need some light entertainment with the, with the, with the situation of the world right now. So I'd like to throw that out there for people. I mean, look, I, I, you know, business and say this lightly and I consume a lot of stuff. If you are able to watch one TV show and catch up in the next couple months, from really the last three years at least, is Orphan Black on BBC America. Mm. They're spectacular. They were not. They've been nominated for the Glad Awards um, for every year that it's been on because they have numerous gay characters from both genders. They have transgender characters. It's mm-hmm. the premise is that they're the the main character um, Tatiana Maslany, who plays like ten versions of herself. She she won the Emmy for Best Actress this past year. Uh, when was the Emmys? Like a month or two ago? You know, she beat Claire Danes and everybody else. She won the Emmy. Like, the Emmy. Even though it's a BBC America sh- uh, show. Um, and it's about cloning, but it's about women's bodies, 
it's about scientific ethics it's about you know mm. the politics of sex um mm. uh, you know um and uh, it's a little dark but it's also very very funny and it's it's so flawless that you fall in love with every clone version of her they look and act and talk different so it's a lot about nature versus nurture you know like how different the clones are um uh, and uh it's an excellent show and it's about it's june 10th uh the final season is mm. airing on um bbc america but you can watch all four seasons for free and it's only 10 episodes a season on bbcamerica.com wow. um and it's it's just one of the most acclaimed shows out there that a lot of people just don't know about because you know it's a bbc america show but unlike sherlock and doctor who it actually was made for the north american market um and it sort of takes place in a city that's a combination of like toronto and and uh in Chicago or something like that. Um, very much based in current politics, very empowering show. She's spectacular. Um, so that would be the one that you guys should really watch. Uh, if you get a chance is, is orphan black. Cause it has its fifth and final season. And, um, it's one of those shows that's able, that's going out on its own terms. Like it's ratings have been going up every year and they just decided that this will be the final year. And then she won the Emmy and now it's like expectations are very high. So, um, well, and the, the other, and if you know me, the best news of the week was three days ago, they announced that they started filming Jessica Jones on season two in new york city so i'm fucking right. so excited for that that's <laughs> that's one of my favorite shows of all time i love Kristen ritter so um awesome. all right boys so, thank you so one, much Bizzle, one last thing yes i remember you recommended the the, the movie uh, hunt for the wilder people yes oh uh, back. yes manuela and i saw that and since then we've seen a couple other movies by the same by the same director but take away teaching film these new zealand uh films are, are yes. fantastic it's Something along the lines of Wes Anderson meets Napoleon Dynamite, and yeah. and any uh, anyway that that was a fantastic film. Oh, so yeah. if yeah. you haven't seen that, get out and see it. I love that movie. I agree, Bizzle. Yeah. I I yeah. thought that was a great recommendation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I I actually my told my parents to see it. They loved it too. I mean, that was my favorite movie of last year, and I compared to some of the films that were nominated, that that should have been not. I mean. It's very Wes Anderson-y, Dre. That occurred to me while I was seeing it. But it is deeper than most Wes Anderson movies from an emotional standpoint. And so, if you know, if Grand Budapest Hotel can get nominated for Best Picture, it's not clear why Hunt for the Wilder People. Um, But it has a great following. And uh, Taika Waititi is actually directing the third and final Thor movie in the fall. Um, where they've added Tessa Thompson, they've added Kate Blanchett, um, and uh, should be very colorful and very funny and interesting. Mark Ruffalo's in it as the Hulk. Um, and so uh, yeah, they had signed him before Wilder People came out because that's how much they loved his other stuff. I've been meaning to see it. What are the titles of those movies? Like, where'd you find them? Eagle versus Shark is a great one. Okay. Um, uh, oh, let's see. What? what uh, I'd have to. I'd have to... Look okay. into something. I mean, look it's on into, Netflix. It's on Netflix, or look into his work. I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. The, the Taika Waititi. Taika yeah. Waititi. Yes. Yeah. He, he plays uh, the um the the dumbass minister at the beginning when they're at the funeral. Yeah. yeah right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um. Cool. I'm glad you guys both saw that movie. That's very dear. To, that was that was last year's Creed for me. Just the, the one that was closest to my heart. Uh, yeah. That came out last year. Um. So, oh, and speaking of Creed and Michael B. Jordan, we got Black Panther coming early next mm. year. I just finished the Ta-Nehisi Coates written Black Panther series. Oh, Phenomenal. Word. And now he's, start, he's already penning, he's bringing Black Panther T'Challa to Harlem to meet up with Luke Cage, Storm, and all the classic African-American and people of color characters from the comics to fight like social injustices and police violence and stuff like that. 
um, in the movie um, featuring Chadwick Boseman and Lupita Nyong'o and Michael B. Jordan. They've cast almost exclusively black actors coming out early next year. It should be a, hopefully be a turning point for, for mainstream cinema, so we will see. Because there's still a lot of really sexist, stupid motherfucking nerds out there. You know who you are, nerds. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up. It's 2017. We want women and people of color. Mm. Um, sorry. Uh, so, um, no, this don't, was, don't apologize. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I was more. I was just apologizing for screaming. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you, thank you, boys, so much. I really hope to have you back. Uh, I knew this would be great, and uh, you know, I mean, I, I just appreciate and so happy about our friendship all these years. Um, so, um, uh, Smiley, thank you, Andreas, thank you, uh, Dre. Final thoughts for the Bizzlecast listeners? Oh no, I, yeah, I just want to thank you, Bizzle. It was a real privilege to be to be here talking with you guys. Um, yeah, man. Job less. Job less. Robot. 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 Wait, can we, can we do a one, two, three, a robot? And then I'm going to uh, sample it. Uh, and then I can like Absolutely. use it as like a, as like a, um, a meme or something. <laughs> All right. Great. You ready? All right. Here Love we go. Boys. Yes. After not on three, after three. All right. Okay. All right. One, two, three. A robot. Wait, that didn't work. <laughs> I'll, I'll stitch it together. Okay, we'll try one more time. One, right. two. Oh, wait, hold on. Are we doing a robot or robot? A robot. All right, all right. All right. One, two, three. A robot. That'll take a little editing. Oh, um, give it yeah, we give it a shot. <laughs> All right, it boys. Like, it ain't like it used to be. <laughs> wow, well, it ain't like it used to be. We're like already tired. It's 7.30 p.m. on a Saturday night. Like, well, <laughs> well, well, in for the well, night. We've officially, well, we've officially bottomed out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pretend I didn't hear that. <laughs> um, guys, maybe for the next one down the road, we could do our top 10 favorite Seinfeld episodes, which has been one I've wanted to do for a while. So keep that in mm. mind. Yeah. Sign me up. Um, all right, Bizzle. boys. You. Keep doing what you're doing, man. The Bizzle cast you. is you're killing it. I Thank love it. Thank you. I appreciate the support, guys. I, I love it. Whenever I get a note from you guys or other friends that you listen to an episode, it just completely makes my day whether mm-hmm. you liked it or not just that you listen so yeah. thank you both for support in all areas of my life thank you Bizzlecast listeners and for now the Ruby crew is out alright boys thanks thank you guys yeah, that was great love you guys <laughs>